Hello, darling. How are you? I'm fucking wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. You look gorgeous. Thank you. So do you. Thanks. It's been fucking a beautiful week, honestly. Everyone's obviously out and about. You can hear them all in the streets, <laughs> frolicking, yep. having yep. a grand old time. Yeah, it's gorgeous out. I, you know, this is me living my best life. Yeah, this is like nice dress weather for you now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. This is me living my best yeah, motherfucking yeah. life. And I definitely have, uh, what's it called, seasonal affective disorder? Sad. Sad. Mm -hmm. And I think it could be from the fact that I grew up in Miami Beach. Yeah, where where you have summer all year. All year. Basically. So to go a substantial amount of the year not having that, it very much affects me. Oh, yeah. So when when I just see the little ray of sunshine peeking through my window, I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm up and it's a beautiful day. (laughs) I can take over the world. (laughs) So it's been really beautiful. Spring springing, baby. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. You went to Central Park even too, right? Yeah. Like I fucking ballsy. put on a fucking dress yesterday and went for a walk in Central Park. Oh, shit, girl. Hey. Nice. Yeah. It was beautiful out. There you go. I walked down the uh, Long Beach Boardwalk. That's what I did for my, Amazing. for this beautiful day. Amazing. Yeah. It was nice. Everyone was fucking out and about. I love yeah. it. Also, this is another fucking horror podcast. Uh, yeah. Which you definitely would wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> From our lovely chat at the beginning. <laughs> it's going to get real dark, though. Yeah. It's like, hi, this is Monique and Amy with the weather, and it's 3.15 and partly cloudy. Uh, <laughs> Beautiful out. Everyone get your, get your dogs, get your dresses, go out, enjoy. Yay. Yay. No, it's going to get horrifying. It's going to get horrifying. It's going to be murders <laughs> and galore. You have no idea. I'm Monique Sanchez. I'm Amy Trayton. We're doing the horrors yeah. and the, the murders and the things. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to... <laughs> I'm Welcome nailing this intro. Yeah, we're, we're good. Clearly, we're on our game today. I think I'm flustered because I have caught Montero fever. What is Montero fever? Have you not been made aware of the Lil Nas X song Montero and its accompanying music video? No, which I love Lil Nas X, so I'm actually really surprised. When Old Town Road came out, girl, oof. Johnny and I memorized every single word. It was okay. like our road trip song. Oh, it was okay. Great. I didn't say anything because my jaw was on the floor because I'm gagged. <laughs> this song. Okay, one. First of all, do you love it? I need to know. Obsessed. Okay. Good. Obsessed. I don't know why that surprises me, but yeah. I mean, that's that's fine. You don't seem like a Lil Nas X fan particularly. I don't know that I am. Okay. You just like this song. This song's, I, this is my only experience of Lil Nas X. Shit. That's it. All right. It's possible that I've heard other music of his. Do you know Old Town Road that I'm referring to or- Oh my god! Your, I think it's your possible. Face is, your face is. Being, I don't have any idea. I wasn't around that year. Like, what are you talking about? Oh my god, that was fucking everywhere. It's possible that if I hear it, I will know it. You definitely will. Right. Definitely. I'll, I'll do a little. I'll, I'll listen later. So the only reason I got hip to Lil Nas X and this situation, yes, was because in the last week he dropped his music video, and everyone lost their mind in the correct way, which was like gagged at the eleganza and then in the incorrect way of like puritanical republicans being uh, like you're destroying this country I'm, yeah i hate all of this this is nothing i like yeah, yeah like you're destroying this country and i'm not gonna get political i'm just gonna say this one thing but some republican senator or some shit came for him being like lil nas x and his music video are like destroying the morality of this country they fucking always think that and then lil nas x clapped back being like okay the country just opened up and we've had a mass shooting every week and i'm the problem yeah sure jan yeah go fuck yourself um literally yes go fuck yourself 
I have Montero fever. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh shit! All right, it's, I'm obsessed. I'm gagged at the eleganza. I'm obsessed with all of it. The music video is out of control. I'm definitely jealous. How did I miss this? All right, girl, I'm I don't know what the fuck you've been. Done. Yeah, because I know. I'm not. Hip I know. I was gonna say, it. like, yeah, like even on side stories in of last podcast, they brought what? this up, and he also did um. Like a rodeo either? Oh my god. All right. Okay. <laughs> it's possible I've heard it. Yeah. And I just don't know. I just don't know the name because I'm not great with music unless it's from like the early 2000s. Yeah. Like Since I spent. Radiohead or Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. But not just that. I spent the whole week listening to Genuine Differences. Damn. Pony Girl. Let's po- do- fuck? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't Shit. care what anyone says. That's- the early 2000s were capital I, capital T. It for music. Yes. Bomb.com. Yes. Uh, Timbaland. Missy Elliott. Are you oh fucking kidding God. me? Oh my God. I know. And this is also like Heyday, Britney Spears, all the boy bands. Yeah. And you have Radiohead in this time. Like it was everything. It had everything and everything was amazing. It, is, it was great. Yeah. I will give you that. Also, So in addition to dropping this music video on the song, which again, gagged on the eleganza and everyone losing their mind over it, both the correct way and the incorrect way. <laughs> He also did a collaboration with Nike where he had his own shoe. Oh, okay. And then again, people lost their mind because it's a black shoe that has a pentagram on it. Oh my God, Monique got a pentagram. Oh, no way. You know what that means. No way. It's okay. gonna, yeah, because they got the two easiest shapes <laughs> to make and so put them together. <laughs> we're worshiping the devil. Facts. Well, so to escalate that, oh, he God. alleges that there's a drop of human blood in every <sighs> shoe. I mean, that's the sweatshop workers, let's be honest. One correct. Yes. Like, but, sorry, but I mean, you know what the fuck is up. It's Nike. Like, yeah. But also, like, and people were, were scandalized. I'm like, has no one ever heard of a publicity stunt before? Yeah, right? Like, what? Are you really taking him in his word? Like, yeah. What are you talking about? Oh, my like, God. So people are ridiculous. They're man. ridiculous. So people have lost their minds. This is like the people in the chat room believing that the fucking guy was a real stalker. Yes. Kevin, yes. Stop it. Exactly. And so he issued an apology. Uh, Lil Nas X issued an apology on... What? Wait, okay. wait. Yeah. So he issued an apology about the shoe and he released it on YouTube and it starts out and he's on camera and he has the shoe in his hand and he inhales and right as he's going to say something, it cuts to a scene from Montero. <gasps> Super scandalous. That and is I'm like, hysterical. I'm obsessed with you. Hysterical. That's hysterical. I have Montero well fever. Shit. Okay. I have Montero fever. I'm not ashamed. Uh, Damn. You, she's got both arms up right now, guys. I don't think you're like fully aware of the intensity. Both arms are of, up. Yeah. Like praise, <laughs> praise Lil Nas X. <laughs> praise Lil Nas X. It's yeah. Damn. It's so good. All right. Shit. It's. I clearly good. have been off the interwebs for too long. It's a very sexy song. I love a sexy song. Girl, I'm all about the sexy songs. It's a real sexy song. When, like, the summer gets popping. That's going to be it? That's going to be, like, our hot girl it's, jam? It's going to be the hot girl mm, jam. Fuck yeah. Parts are going to be rubbing on parts. <laughs> it's furious grinding. Oh, my Straight God. Straight frottage. It's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm here for it. It's been a minute, kids. Um. <laughs> oh, my God. We also got... No. A piece of mail. <gasps> From Shut a listener. The fuck? Oh my god, wait! Yes! And they're apparently a very talented artist, unlike the fucking sketch drawer of oh goddamn my. the dead files. No, exactly. Yes, they're absolutely 
they like drew on the like beautiful flowers. flowers. So oh my god! So I I'm like full on losing my shit a little bit right now. Absolutely, like I'm keeping I, together, but I'm really not. I opened it, but I only know one thing that's in there, not everything that's in there, and well, I haven't I mean, taken you, anything else. <laughs> you run the PO box. You're allowed to open okay. open the mail. Like you open the PO box, lady. Not only did we get mail, we got mail from fucking Canada. From Canada, baby. We got shit. They had to go through fucking customs to get this here. Like this is legit. Yes. So this is what? from D as in dog, M as in Monique, L as in Lucy, W as in Walrus. Walrus. Thank you. Hey. Design. That's their Instagram yeah. handle. Yeah. So this is from them. Fucking a girl. Oh my god, I am losing my fucking shit! These are the cutest fucking skull keychains. So cute. They're like so classy and girly though. It is, these keychains are like my spirit animal. I'm obsessed. It's this adorable skull that has roses and has a tassel. I mean, it is so cute. I can't even handle it. So cute. Like, I'm obsessed. I would totally buy this for myself if it was not Absolutely. generously given to us as a gift. <gasps> this is going on my keychain immediately. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else? Oh, there totally is. And I'm just as... Oh, my God. There's there's stickers, too. <gasps> you know I love stickers. I love the stickers. Oh, my God. They're so cute. And she does so everything. Cute. And this designer, DMLW Design find them on instagram dmlw design they do everything by hand like they these are draw super everything high quality too. Yeah. super high quality these are adorable stickers she does I like you can do custom stuff with her what like she's amazing thank Fuck you yes. thank you so, so much. much these are so cute i love them so much i'm obsessed we're gonna put them on the instagram obsessed yes we are totally. we're obsessed i'm putting it on my keychain immediately oh my god absolutely oh my god Thank you. We are not worthy. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I love this so much. Honestly, I don't think anyone can fully comprehend the joy that these little moments bring us. Because, like, obviously we get excited and you can, like, hear our excitement. But, like, <sighs> to know really yeah. how much joy that brings me inside. Like, yeah, I'm not a crier, but, like, it makes me want to, like, get teary and cry a little bit over oh. it. Like, it's so sweet. It's really so sweet. It's just so lovely and so unexpected. and Yes. I don't even know. And how... I love it. Like, thank you for supporting yes. us. We want to support you. Like, Absolutely. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She has such cute stuff on both her site and her Instagram. You got to check it out. Yes. And I love that we have such, like, talented fans. Yes. Like, what? Yes. I'm so impressed. Absolutely. Get it, queen. Demi Marie Wilson. I love it. Is it Demi or is it Demi? Like, Demi Moore. It's D-E-M-I. So I don't know what... Where the emphasis is. Demi, Demi, we're obsessed with you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. fucking much. These yes. are so cute. I can't handle my life. I have so much skull stuff in my <gasps> apartment. You can never have too much, though. I can never have too much. And now I have one on my key. Yes! And my life is complete. You I love it so much. You can carry one with you wherever you go. Yes. yes. That's beautiful. Uh, this is amazing. Fuck. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I love that we're getting mail. I know. And like, like it's not enough that you you made these beautiful keychains and then you sent them to us. You also fucking like decorated, like, the, decorated envelope. the envelope. Like decorated the envelope. I can't handle this. I'm obsessed. I know. Thank you so, so much. Talented. So like, talented. Thank you I can't so even much. handle yes. it. Yes. Genuinely. Also, penmanship is amazing. Right? Girl. 
I went to Catholic school and they actually did give awards for penmanship and I never won. I was like, you didn't get any, did you? No. <laughs> no. It's like, no offense. I've seen your handwriting. It's horrendous. It's a little scary. It's not great. It's not quite Johnny's level of chicken scratch, but... I mean, it's not like serial killer no, handwriting, no, no, no. but it's not great. No. <laughs> it's not comforting. But it's one of those things that I never really strived to make better. I was like, oh, fuck it. It's very... I get that. Yeah. Functional to me. Okay. I was one of those kids who was super bored in school. So like that was the thing that kept me interested. It was like, I'm going to literally change mm. everything about the way I write to just keep myself interested. No. No? no it's not me. Oh my God. I used to be like, I'm going to write in all caps today. And it's like, I'm not going to make my W's with the rounded things. I'm going to make them pointy now. Oh my God. I'm such a fucking psycho. No, I was one of the my few friends who had cable. Okay. So I would, I was really into Comedy Central and I would memorize <gasps> Girl. comedians' sets and perform them for my friends who didn't have cable and couldn't watch them. I love that so much. I would not perform them for people, obviously, but I was obsessed with Comedy Central. And well, I would do it as them. Like I would do like oh, in know, the style, in of, the style yeah, of them. Of so it's like this is Dane Cook's set that I'm doing for you because you don't have cable. Oh my gosh. Dane Cook. That fucking brings me back, man. Yeah, that was girl. The, oh, I was Dane obsessed. Cook. I've seen Steve Byrne. Yeah. Pablo Francisco. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, Stephen Lynch. He this was like the huevos. Yes. <laughs> huevos flash, you <laughs> sexy motherfucker. This was the heyday. So That's good. what I wasn't. Comedy Central Presents was yes. fucking legit. God, Margaret chose Comedy Central. And they used to do uh, pulp comics. Yeah. Margaret chose is incredible. It's yeah. Greg Proops. This was like amazing. Oh my God, amazing. yeah. This is like the heyday of everybody. So I didn't give a fuck about my handwriting. No, I totally got that. I was obsessed with Comedy Central. As and, you should have been. And, rightfully so. And spreading that joy to other people. Fuck yes. I can remember betting my dad. We had like watched a bunch of Comedy Central one day and mm -hmm. he attributed a joke to Dane Cook that I was like, that was not that Dane is Cook. Not. That was Nick Swartzen's joke. Like, fuck yeah. Do not mistake that. And he was like, no, it definitely wasn't. And I went on LimeWire Back in yes! the fucking day. And I found the audio of the Comedy Central Presents episode and literally played it for him and paused it and was like, that's the fucking joke. That's him saying it. Where's my $20? And he gave me $20. And I was like, thank you. Don't doubt me again. Please tell me that you finished that with you got served. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably a little young for that. But he, yes, he knew what was up. He knew what the fuck was up. I'm obsessed. Oh, yeah. That was the that was the level of kid I was. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I've seen more stand-up comedians than I have bands perform. I'm pretty sure. Live. Like, I would rather spend my money to go see a comedy show than I would to go see a band perform. Because I don't want to... I'm not a big dancer. I don't want to sing along. I don't want to, like... A lot of concerts are standing room only. I don't want to do that. I want a chair. I want to sit. I want to laugh. I want to not have any sort of obligations. I'm on board with everything you just said. Okay, good. As you should be. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm at the age, too, that I'm like, I don't want to do a stand. I want to fuck it. I want a chair. Yeah, so that I if I stand up, yeah, yeah. I want the option of sitting down. <laughs> I want to always have that option. Thank you. For sure. And, like, I always, whenever I do go to a concert and it's standing room, this this is my my method of uh, attack, my plan of attack, right? So I show up and I show up really early so that I'm really close, of course, to yeah. to the the stage. And as the the show continues, I make my way towards closer to the exit, <laughs> so that by the time the show is over, I'm like the first one out. That's actually really smart. Fuck yeah, I really like that. Yeah, you always gotta know where the bathrooms are yeah. and where the exits are. All right, and where the bar is. Obviously. Of course. Yeah. Top three, man. Yeah. Um, another thing. Yeah, tell me. Since last week, 
I celebrated my New York anniversary. Oh my god! Congratulations! Thank you. How long have you been in New York? So I'm not counting the three years I went to school in Long Island. Oh, so you can, but if you don't want to, that's fair. I don't because okay. it was like broken up, and it's like not like New York, New York. It was Hempstead. So not counting those three years, uh, April fourth was thirteen years that I've been living oh, here. Shit! Yeah. Damn, girl. Yeah. And uh, in 2010, a New York magazine uh, contacted like 30 quintessentially New York people who are not from New York about a in- book. Interesting. Right. Like people yeah. who are very like associated with New York. Yeah, but aren't, who aren't actually from, like who? Uh, like Nora Ephron, for instance. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, they contacted these 30 people to submit a piece about uh, an experience or their experience with New York, like right after moving here, like oh immediately after God. moving here. Oh God, oh God. And it was turned into a book called My First New York. And Nora Ephron uh, wrote a piece. And she, if you don't know who she is, she was a really brilliant writer who wrote such classics like Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. Yeah. And all your favorite rock comps. Oh my God, yes. And there is a passage from her piece that she wrote for this book that every year on my anniversary, I put on my Facebook. And I would like to share it with you lovely folk right now. Yay! I'd known since I was five, when my parents forced me to move to California, that I was going to live in New York eventually and that everything in between was just a horrible intermission. I'd spent those 16 years imagining what New York was going to be like. I thought it was going to be the most exciting magical, fraught-with-possibility place that you could ever live in. A place where if you really wanted something, you might be able to get it. A place where I'd be surrounded by people I was dying to be with. And I turned out to be right. Aww. So, that actually gave me chills. I know. I love it so I much. really like that. Uh, so... That's just a little snippet as to why I love New York. I love that. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah. It's a tough place to live in, for sure. It and is. it's not for everyone. And I get it when people it, say it's, it's a lot. For them. It can be very It's a lot. Yeah. That's also what I love about it yeah. is that it's like so much all the time. Like, yeah. And it is a place that creates these magical moments. It really that does. Just doesn't exist anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. And it is one of those places that when you have those like, small world moments with people that you're so much more amazed because you know how big New York is and how many people are there. So I remember one time Johnny and I were on the train ride home and it was one of those where you happen to face other people. And we were facing some strangers and whatever. We'd have a few drinks. Johnny was starting to get a little chatty. We start talking to them. Their daughter goes to the same small liberal arts college that we both graduated from. Get the fuck out. Literally, it's a school of like 1,800 people in Winter Park, Florida. The middle of fucking nowhere. Like, very few people, even in Specific as fuck. Yes. Even people who I know who have lived in Florida their whole lives. Me. Have never never heard of this. Never heard of this school. Like, it's kind of like a little hidden gem. And we literally met people sitting across from us on the train whose daughter went to that school. And we had a whole 30-minute conversation with these, like, wonderfully nice strangers on the train about the fact that all of us went to the same school. Like, I love that. I just love New York. And yeah. it's the first place that I've ever felt like was home to me. So I was like celebrating and uh, every yeah. year and, you know, I just, I went out for drinks at my watering hole and, but I, I post that every year. Good. Uh, Do you see Steven at your watering hole? He was not there. It wasn't his <gasps> no. day. But Jeanette was there. Okay. 
Okay. And she's a delight. I met her the first time, right? Is that what I met her now? Yes, you did. Yeah, she's yes. awesome. She's the shit. But yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So shit. Thank you. Also, uh, thanks for the DMs uh, about watching The Nick. Lots of people are into watching The Nick. Are they? Good. They are. Fuck yeah. And I am determined that this show will be the catalyst for bringing The Nick back. Ooh, I would love that. I would Guys, love <laughs> let's make this fucking happen. Speaking of The Nick. Well, speaking of Clive Owen. Uh, Monique blew my mind <laughs> the other day because she sent me... An interview that Stephen Colbert does with Clive Owen, where well, so here's the thing: so Clive Owen, when you're a real an actor, yeah. right? When you're an actor, you're typecast. Which basically, when you walk in a room, what do you look like, and what's the vibe you give off? Yes. And the thing is, a lot of times, who you are doesn't actually match that. <laughs> but that doesn't matter if you want to get paid and have a career you're going to get keep getting cast as yes. whatever you look like and whatever the vibe is yes. until someone decides to cast some shit out of the box and cast you in it against type yes so <laughs> so if you've seen any of Clive Owen's work he's very like brooding and tortured and complicated and uh. sexy and like everything that I shouldn't be attracted to but very much am and I had told Amy that I had seen an interview with him that just blew my fucking mind. <laughs> Fact. So I forwarded it to her. And I was like, literally, who am I watching? Like, who is this? This is not Clive Owen because he's like happy and like cracking jokes Goofy. and smiling. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Who is this person? Yeah. I, I very much enjoyed that. He's not Dr. John Thackeray in that. No, no. he's like your friend's like dad. friendly, goofy dad. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Um, yeah. like, he, he laughs yeah, a lot. He does. Which I'm like, I don't Unexpected. think I've ever seen him laugh in anything. Unexpected. No. no. Like maybe like a knowing smile, but that's all you're getting that's from it. his characters. Oh my God. No. Um, yes. <laughs> I very much enjoyed that. Yeah. I was like, not, not expected. It was very unexpected. Yeah. All Do right. Do you have anything else? Or no. Are we going on to some spooky... You want to get into it? Let's get some spooky you stories, baby. I don't know that my story is really spooky today. I will prepare you with that. I know you're super excited about it. But I am, I am pretty excited about it. And I'm pretty excited about it because while I say that I've never had anything strange or paranormal <gasps> happen to me... Are you going to blow my mind right now, Amy? I don't know that I am. You might be like, you're full of fucking shit and you don't fucking know what you're talking about. So we'll see. But this is the one quote unquote paranormal thing that I have had any sort of experience with. I am very excited. Are you? Very intrigued. Okay, good. Color me intrigued. I hope so. I hoped so. So today we're going to be discussing the Mandela effect. I had been thinking this was on in my book was it it's a possible thing to do yes okay good okay good so sources i have quite a few on this one so brace yourself uh wikipedia reddit vice.com cnbc.com ourcommunitynow.com newstatesman.com theconversation.com realityshifters.com scientificamerican.com quick and dirty tips which sounds very dirty but is actually just like Grammar tips, so it's not actually, but it sounds clickbaity to me. It does, it really does. Goodhousekeeping.com and space.com. So, as I said, we're going to be discussing the Mandela effect. And according to Mulder from the X Files, yeah. the Mandela effect occurs, quote, 
when someone has a memory that doesn't coincide with everybody else's or the facts, end quote. The Mandela effect can also be known as quote-unquote collective false memories, divergent memories, alternate histories, reality shifts, or reality glitches. Basically, there are a bunch of people out there, myself included, who have vivid memories of things that apparently never actually happened. These quote-unquote false memories do not match the published history of events, yet people claim to remember specific details of events, movies, TV shows, books, songs, and logos that never actually existed or were completely different than they remembered. Yeah, because it's not just like one or two people. It's whole groups of people remembering something not just a little bit different, but completely differently. Completely differently. So these pseudo-memories are blamed on the fallibility and imperfection of the human mind and its susceptibility to suggestion. Basically, they think we're all making it up and we're full of shit. (laughs) Which is possible. That's fair. I'll give you that. Yeah. That's a fair um, assessment, maybe. Yeah. Those who've experienced their own versions of the Mandela effect and believe their memories to be correct, despite the evidence to the contrary, think that this could be evidence of parallel universes, disturbances in the timeline, or perhaps the butterfly effect. The term Mandela effect was coined in 2010 by a quote-unquote paranormal consultant and author Fiona Broom, who claimed to clearly remember Nelson Mandela dying in a South African prison in the 1980s when he actually died in 2013 after serving as president of South Africa from 1994 to 1999, long after his quote-unquote death. Fiona says she's not the only one with this memory and estimates that perhaps thousands, quote-unquote, of other people have had the same memory of his death, despite the true record events saying that he died in 2013. Some of these people have even claimed to remember watching his funeral on TV. I found an account of someone who claims to also remember Nelson Mandela's death in the 1980s. Published in the book Mandela Effect, Friend or Foe, Eileen Colts describes traveling to South Africa in 1984 and requesting to interview Nelson Mandela, who was sick in prison awaiting release on humanitarian grounds. When Mandela was too sick to participate, she was given an interview with Adrian Vlock, the then Deputy Minister of Defense, to discuss Mandela's possible release. When she returned to the States, her interview was broadcast on Loyola University radio station in Chicago. After graduating in 1985, Eileen accepted a position at the Chicago NPR radio affiliate, where she covered local politics and served as a morning news host before moving to Europe in 1990 to cover the fall of the Berlin Wall and European news for the English Services Department of the German National Broadcasting Network. She said, quote, Sometime in 1986 or 1987, I specifically recall hearing reports at work that were broadcast of Nelson Mandela's death in prison, tragically just weeks before his release was finalized. I remember news reports after his death about his widow Winnie taking over as apartheid liberation spokesperson with a questionable football team of bodyguards. I think you would have to be working in news as I was to remember these events so specifically. So imagine my surprise when living in England in the mid-1990s, Nelson Mandela turned up at a press conference with the Spice Girls pop band. For a moment, I thought I must be on another planet, but as you do, I told myself my memory of his death years earlier must have been wrong and I moved on, end quote. While Eileen, Fiona, and many others claim to remember Nelson Mandela dying in the 1980s, there are others who have yet another alternate version of events. According to them, he didn't die in prison in the 1980s. His death actually occurred in 1991 instead. This version of events is particularly interesting because unlike the 1980s death, there is supposed quote-unquote evidence to prove that this alternate version of events occurred. There's a little snippet from an obscure book floating around that says, quote, 
The chaos that erupted in the ranks of the ANC when Nelson Mandela died on the 23rd of July, 1991, brought the January 29th, 1991, in Kafka ANC peace accord to nothing, end quote. However, if you do a little research, the line in question isn't actually in a textbook. It's found in an annual anthology of writing from high schools and secondary colleges in Southern Africa published in 1991. Quote, approximately 70 pieces of poetry and prose of all sorts and about anything are selected for publication each year, end quote. Because there's very little context for the quote, it's possible that the student had written a creative writing piece exploring an alternate reality in which Nelson Mandela died in July 1991, which would not be unheard of as The Man in the High Tower is a book and now a show yeah. that explores an alternate reality in which Axis Powers won World War II. And creative writing's creative writing. You creative write writing, yeah. You can you write, write whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. It is a weirdly specific quote, but again, not from a textbook. And I've kind of seen this floating around implying that it was from a textbook, and it's not. One of the biggest proponents of the Mandela effect is Cynthia Sue Larson, who also personally remembers Nelson Mandela, quote unquote, dying twice. She has a degree in physics from UC Berkeley, an MBA degree, and a doctor of divinity. She's the best-selling author of several books, including Quantum Jumps and Reality Shifts, and is the president of the International Mandela Effect Conference. She calls these instances of the Mandela effect reality ships, which was a term coined by PMH Atwater in the 1995 book Future Memory. Atwater claims that the things we chalk up to coincidence are actually reality ships. Larson says, quote, in quantum realms, physicists have learned to expect to see various quote unquote spooky actions after decades of observing quantum particles engaged in such strange behaviors as teleportation, traveling through solid barriers, and moving in simultaneous synchronization with particles great distances away, end quote. According to Larson, we face the extraordinary possibility that reality might not be as fixed and stable as it seems, and she posits that, quote, our thoughts and feelings literally change the physical world, end quote. I mean, facts. I am not doubting that at this point in time. But before we get into the possible explanations for the Mandela effect, let's explore some other examples. Mm -hmm. Some of the most commonly mentioned examples of the Mandela effect come from our misremembering of famous movie lines. The famous, Luke, I am your father, right. and Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, both were apparently never said, with the films proving the lines are, No, I am your father, and Magic Mirror on the Wall, respectively. Most of us would just chalk this up to the movie line equivalent of the childhood game Telephone. One person misquotes it, then another person quotes the misquote, and then that's all that we remember. I watched both these movies as a kid, but don't remember having a strong feeling one way or the other about the lines in question and would easily believe someone who told me my memory of these lines to be faulty. However, during my research, I stumbled across a more recent example of a movie quote that supposedly fell prey to the Mandela effect, one in which I specifically remember the quote-unquote incorrect version of the line. Oh. So, for all you scary movie fans, you might be surprised to know that according to the film, Marlon Wayans' character Shorty never says, quote, I see white people, end quote. He actually says the iconic sixth sense line verbatim, quote, I see dead people, end quote. Really? Apparently, yes. Now, I don't know about you, but I distinctly remember him saying, I see white people, because that's literally the joke, is it not? Subverting what you thought he was going to say, which was, quote unquote, dead people. Okay. D weigh in. Do you remember I him saying? So... I saw a scary movie. I didn't care for it. That's for totally another, fine. another yeah. time and place. That is the line I remember. Now, the thing that I may posit. Okay. Tell me, girl. Is 
a lot of times things will appear in trailers that don't happen Different. in Different. As far as I know, no one can find the... Anything that says, anything. I see white people. Mm-mm. Guys, DM us or email DM us. DM us. Another fucking I'm expecting a lot of listener stories for the Mandela effect. Like, I want to know your versions of this. Because I can't be the only person who fucking... I have like five of these things. They're fucking insane. Because I don't know what the rest of your story is, obviously. Yeah. But I'm guessing there's going to be ones that you bring up that I have... Because I had looked into this for, for the show. There's quizzes coming up. Don't you worry. Yeah. And then I was, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I guess so. Like, I didn't think yes. too much of it. I was like, okay, I guess. Yeah. All right. And it's one of those things, like, if you don't really have a strong feeling about it one way or the other, you feel like, eh, okay, yeah, I can, I, I didn't remember it like that, girl. If someone knows Marlon Wayans, get in touch with him and ask him what the fuck he said in Scary Movie. Yeah. <laughs> He'll deny it. I'm sure. He'll say he never said that. So many, yes. We'll, we'll get into that more. And you actually looked up the scene. Yeah, I watched the, yeah. There is a- And he says, I see dead people. I see dead people. I literally watched it on YouTube. I know. Because I was like, I fucking remember him saying it. Like, I, that's literally that's the, the joke. joke. That's the whole fucking joke. Like, it it makes sense if he says the real line, but like... That's not the joke, That's though. not the fucking joke. Oh, yeah. That one really got me. This one I actually had not heard of before I started doing research for the story, and it really fucked me up. It really fucked me up. I was like, I fucking 100% remember it being, I see white people. See, okay. So, I, I don't care about scary movie. Like, I, I wasn't... It's not like my favorite movie at all. Like, at all. I really didn't care for it. But that is the one line that you remember remember from Scary Movie. Yeah. I know. Trust me. I wanted to be like, yeah, I'm a fucking stoner and I don't remember things. My memory is faulty. But that was the joke. Yes. The joke was I see white people. Yes. And I remember, like, I'll tell other little stories here too, of like my other ones. I have very specific memories of like what I was fucking thinking about all of these instances. So yeah. You got me a little shook, Amy. I'm not going to lie. Fuck yeah. Yeah. We're only on page three. Oh, Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Buckle up, kids. But according to all records of the film, there's no evidence that he ever said anything other than dead people. So obviously skeptics would say that I'm misremembering this line as well. However, other movies that people have claimed have had lines change and fall under the Mandela effect include Apollo 13, mm. Casablanca, Forrest Gump, Lord of the Rings, and The Wizard of Oz. For some of the cases of the misremembered lines, there's a simple explanation. For example, as you mentioned earlier, in the Forrest Gump movie misquote example, the simple explanation is that both versions of the iconic life is like a box of chocolates versus life was like a box of chocolates existed. The line in the actual movie is in the past tense, was, and the line in the promotional material was in the present tense, is. While these misquote examples of the Mandela effect are the easiest ones to chalk up to misremembering or a bad game of telephone... I also totally understand that gut feeling that you do remember hearing a completely different line because I could fucking swear that Shorty says, I see white people. Yeah, I fucking remember this. So are you ready for your first quiz, Monique? Oh God, I'm going to fail all of them. I don't think you are. Yeah. Is this going to be an ABC? Like a, or I have to fill in the blank? You have to fill in the blank. Oh fuck. Okay. You're fine. I'm stressing out. I know. I literally, it's a pop quiz. I'm not a good test taker. (laughs) You're going to do great. You're going to do amazing. <laughs> There's no, but you just get more Palomas if you get it wrong. So it's fine. Okay, great. All okay. right. I can get on board with that. Okay. In I Love Lucy, <gasps> what does Ricky say to Lucy after she's gotten herself into some hijinks? You got some splitting to do. Except Ricky never says that. Get the fuck out. He has never said that once. Get the fuck out. That's what I know it as too. You guys, okay. okay. It is the default thing. When you say I Love Lucy, 
everyone does the accent and says, Lucy, you got some explaining to do. Literally every person I've ever met. You guys? This okay. ever existed. Okay. Just so you know how deep this is for me, in my bedroom, I have a photograph of Lucille Ball yeah. and Desi Arnaz that is autographed by Lucille Ball. Yeah. I owned the VHS tapes of I Love Lucy. This is why I picked this for you. Because I was like, if anyone will fucking know this, that's it's Monique. Now you gotta watch all of them. I know. The next one is a horror classic. Okay. In Silence of the Lambs, what is Hannibal's famous greeting to Jodie Foster's character? I'm guessing it's not Hello Clarice. He never said that. I don't in the movie to be so. He says good evening, Clarice, not hello, Clarice. Yeah, girl. Is this fucking with your head yet? Because I went down like 40 million rabbit holes last night. So yeah. I mean, it's we're all idiots. We just can't remember anything. We're all just stupid idiots. Apparently, according to skeptics. In case you missed we're talking about. I literally get paid to memorize things. And regurgitate them. Yeah. And you're did, did you no miss quotes. Like you're fucking on your fucking point about quotes. Always. I know quotes. And in case you forgot the fact that I memorized comedian stand-up routines yeah. and performed them for my friends. Literally. That was in the first... Yeah. Like, <laughs> not knowing that this is where this is going. But apparently you don't remember any of these lines. I don't remember any of these lines. No. You're misremembering all of them. They don't exist. They're not real. But... It's Hello Clarice. It's Hello Clarice. Like, where the fuck did we even get that from if it's literally, if he literally says, good evening? Like, why, why did that even become the thing we say for that movie? Right. Girl. Because there's a bunch of other shit we could say, like the fava beans. Like, yes. We know. You've seen it. <laughs> Are you going to tell me that fucking scene didn't happen either, Amy? <laughs> no, no. That was, it. that happened. So even if all of these bastardized quotes are the result of us remembering when others misquoted the lines around us all of these years, there are numerous other examples of the Mandela effect. One of the most commonly cited examples comes in the form of a series of childhood books. Yes. There was even an article published on Vice about the phenomenon. The author, Mac Lamoureux, says, quote, I always figured something would eventually break me mentally and emotionally. I never thought it would be the Berenstain slash Steen bears, mm. end quote. According to all of the evidence, there was never a family of bears named the Baron Steen bears, S-T-E-I-N. They have apparently always been the Berenstain bears, S-T-A-I-N. There is no record of misprints to indicate the other spelling, and all of us, myself included, who remember the Berenstain bears, are apparently just, quote unquote, remembering things incorrectly. And this is one of my personal, quote unquote, Mandela effects that I have experienced. And I'm going to preface the story by saying, it's obviously totally possible that I'm just misremembering the spelling of their name. As I've admitted multiple times in this podcast, I've done some recreational substances you that dabble. may have, have affected my memory. I dabble. <laughs> it's also probably been two decades sure. since I read this book. So like, that's a lot. Obviously, things can happen in that time. But... I also feel the need to state for the record that I was and still currently am an avid and what I would think is an advanced reader, especially at a young age. In Florida, I don't know if every state had this, but in Florida, we had this accelerated reader program, the AR program. Is this where you get your personal pan pizza from 
Pizza Hut? Yeah. Fuck and yes. you got like your, you got all your points, you had to read the books, take the little quiz on the And then you would line. get a free personal pan pizza if yes. you read your books. Yes. Fuck yeah. Also, I'm guessing it uh, didn't help obesity at all. No, probably. <laughs> probably not. Literacy, maybe, but not obesity. Yeah. So I read a fuck ton of books as a kid and part of it was also like rating your reading level. So like in right. taking the quizzes, it would kind of establish what your reading comprehension was for these. And then it had a grade level it would base all of its books on. Right. So in third grade, like I was reading at like an eighth grade level Get kind it. of. So like, I mean, I was a very advanced reader yeah. for my age, for sure. I was also always in the top of my class for spelling bees. Fuck yeah. So I was a good student. I was like very detail oriented. I do not think... I would miss something this fucking glaring. So I definitely wasn't the kind of kid who wouldn't pay attention to something like that. And I remember reading the Berenstein Bears books as a kid. And in my memory, it was not spelled stain. It was spelled S-T-E-I-N, like Stein. And I remember this specifically because one, I remember specifically wondering if they were Jewish because it's never addressed in the book. And I'm like, that's weird. They have a very obviously Jewish last name. This is not addressed at all. Two, this still goes hand in hand with who I am as a person today. I was a very nervous kid and I used to have a little mini panic every time I went to say Berenstein Bears because I wasn't sure if I was remembering the correct pronunciation. Was the suffix pronounced like Albert Einstein or Shel Silverstein? Mm. And I know I wouldn't have had that little panic if it was spelled stain because there's no alternate way to pronounce stain. There's a, there's not an I in it. It's an A. Exactly. It's stain. Like, unless you're pronouncing it stay in for some silly reason. Yeah. I remember I, I dated a guy in college who was a chosen person. And I remember him talking about the Berenstein Bears. And I remember him saying, who knew bears were Jewish? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, huh. Look at you Ha-ha. being quippy. Funny. Apparently, he had a Mandela effect as well because that never happened. They have always been the Berenstain Bears. Berenstain Bears. I can't even say it now because that's not how I grew up remembering it. I've never heard anyone call it the Berenstain Bears. Because it's fucking weird. Because I thought, again, because like I discussed last week, but when you're like, this doesn't apply to me, my brain just dumps it. Yes. So when I saw the, the Berenstain, what I thought it was... Was that there was an I in it, but it was like switched or something? Switched. Yeah. It was either I E or E I. Nope. And then it was like, it was a Steen Stein. Nope. It is straight up stain with an A. No, that's weird. It's fucking weird. Yes. And I mean, I have nothing other than the memory of my weird mental commentary to myself about their last name, but it's something I remember very clearly for those two reasons. And apparently, I'm not alone because Mac Lamoureux said, quote, I personally remember vividly the Berenstain Bears being spelt with an E and calling it that for years. Even during the writing of this piece, the misspelled name is right there on the tip of my tongue. I constantly needed to go back and change all of the Berensteins to Berenstains because my mind is so set in its way. End quote. Dr. Henry L. Rodiger, one of the foremost experts on false memories in North America and a professor at the Washington University Memory Lab, says he has an easy explanation for the Berenstain slash Steen question. Mm-hmm. Quote, I'm not sure that misremembering one letter in a long name is a major league false memory. My guess is that in this case, the Steen is remembered because it's a common ending of many names. Mm-hmm. Einstein, Frankenstein, etc. End quote. In 2011, a humorous blog post claimed, quote, at some point between the years 1986 and 2011, Someone traveled back in time and inadvertently altered the timeline of human history 
So the Berenstain Bears somehow became the Berenstain Bears. This is why everyone remembers the name incorrectly. It was Berenstain when we were kids, but at some point when we weren't paying attention, someone went back in time, rippled our life experience ever so slightly, end quote. That's it. He figured it out. He figured it out. While stated in jest, it's a theory that has resonated with many of us who clearly remember there being an E and not an A. I would also just like to say that I had, this is going to, I'm sure, sound very unlikely considering who I am as a person now, but I had an impeccable memory as a child. Mm. And when something quote unquote weird stuck out to me, I would have a very clear memory of thinking how weird it was. A good example, my mother loves this story. (laughs) Diana! (laughs) <laughs> she knows which one this is <laughs> she was like that's my daughter uh is when i was little my mom bought this new hair product that she called smoothing cream but i remember looking at the orange bottle and reading soothing cream on it mm. i thought huh that's weird it says soothing not smoothing which seems like smoothing would make more sense for a hair product mm-hmm. when my mom mentioned the product to me a few days later i corrected her and told her it was actually soothing cream She told me I was wrong and that it smooths your hair, quote unquote. So obviously it's called smoothing cream. Amy got the fucking evidence. (laughs) Exhibit A, your honor. Oh, girl, you don't even know the levels I go to in this one. No, I'm obsessed already because I do know who you are. I told her that that's what I thought too, but I was 100% sure it was soothing cream because it stuck out to me as being so odd. When my mom still didn't believe me, I asked her if she was, quote, willing to bet her life on it. Oh, shit. End quote. Savage. My mother, thankfully, laughed at how dramatic <laughs> and ridiculous I was being and said, what, you want me to kill myself if I'm wrong? Diana, I'm obsessed with you. I know. I'm so sorry to put up with me. I'm a fucking psycho. How old are you? What, like, age? Oh, my God. I was probably... Uh, I always guess my age is wrong. This is the whole, like, I saw The Shining at nine when I really didn't. <laughs> right. I was probably... I would. I want to say I was probably around that same age, like, eight or nine. Okay. Maybe. Probably. You got sass and a mouth on oh, Yeah, you. I was fucking, I was pulling no punches. Like, I love it. Will you bet your life on it? I love it. So she, she's like, do you want me to kill myself? I'm wrong. I say, of course not. That I was just making the point that that's how sure I was that it was soothing cream. So when we got home, we both immediately rushed through the door uh-huh. to go and check the bottle. And it was indeed called soothing cream. Damn. You got served, Diana. So... I know that seems a ridiculous story, and that's obviously not an example of the Mandela effect, but it's those weird little thoughts I have like that to myself that are so clear in my memory, and that's why I'm so weirdly certain about some of these things. If something sticks out as, like, weird or odd to me, like, I remember having very clear thoughts of, like, talking to myself about these weird things that I was noticing. Yeah, it's not just like, hmm, that's weird. You're like, no, why is it this way? It should be this way. Yeah, totally. And I know that so-called, like, emotional memory, which is, like, I guess what this is, is one of the most fallible memories. But, again, and my mom can attest to this, like, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was soothing cream because I remember thinking, that's weird. Mm. I wouldn't have fucking named it that. Right. I have similar feelings about the Berenstain Bears because I have such clear thoughts about wondering about their name. If it was actually Stain, I would have thought that was weird and it would have stuck out to me for that reason instead. But I remember specifically thinking, one, are they Jewish? And two, how do I pronounce this? Mm. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yeah. You ready for your next pop quiz, Monique? Oh my God. Okay. Do you remember the statue, The Thinker? Yes. How is he posed? 
with his his uh, like arm flexed like a bicep and his chin on the his fist. Is that incorrect? In my memory, the Thinker statue by Augustus Rodin always had a closed fist yeah. tucked under his chin. Yeah. I remember because it was one of the first pieces of art I learned to recognize as a kid, and there was always the parody of the statue on the toilet. Thinking, <laughs> never you never seen that? <laughs> Thinking intently as he did his business. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. You never did the thinker on the toilet? Classic. No. Classic childhood. Oh, move. my God. That's so funny. My cousin and I. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think we're that classy in my Cuban household. Oh, okay. No. Oh, we're definitely not. They weren't like... We're definitely um, that lowbrow in my household. We're going to recreate Whistler's mother while you're on the fucking <laughs> job. What, what other priceless works of art can we recreate God. in the house? It fits, <laughs> let me just say. My cousin and I both used to pose like he did with our hands in a closed fist tucked under the chin. Seeing pictures of it now, it looks so weird. His hand is open, pointing towards his chest... And some of those who have experienced this particular manifestation of the Mandela effect claim that at different times he has also been posed with his fist on his forehead, and that this is an example of something called flip-flopping, which is a topic that comes up a lot if you start reading about the Mandela effect. Basically, it's this idea that certain things flip back and forth into their different versions, and depending on when you check them, you will see a different version. Question. Yes. Is it possible that the thinker is just a living statue, like in Hot Fuzz? <laughs> oh my god, I hope so. I would love that. I would love that. But no, I don't think so. So, some people have claimed that they've seen the thinker flip-flop over time. Sometimes he has an open hand under his chin, sometimes a fist, and even sometimes the fist is pressed to his forehead. I need photographs of this. Right? It's fucking weird looking back at it now. There are even rumors that at some point he's wearing a hat. Get the fuck out. I don't, yeah. No, that's a lot. That's ridiculous. It's true that from a certain angle, he can appear to have a closed fist, even with his open hand. But all of my memories of seeing it were from a side angle where the fist would have been clearly visible. Also, when it's been recreated in pop culture, like on The Simpsons or whatever the fuck, it's always a closed fist. Closed hand, right? Yeah. I mean, that's how I remember it, but when you Google the fucking picture of him, he has a, like, flat hand underneath the chin pointing towards his chest. It's fucking weird. It looks wrong. It looks also, like... Also, who the fuck rests their head on their hand like that? Exactly. It makes no it makes no fucking sense, honestly. But apparently we're all just remembering it wrong, and we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Is it possible because no one puts their hand that way that our brain is just auto-correcting it? That's possible. And that's what people who are skeptical of the Mandela effect are, would probably believe. Okay. Yes. Is that our brain just fills it's in like, this information. Is like, that. no, that's fucking weird. Why would you do that? Other examples of the Mandela effect in art, Mona Lisa's smile. Apparently there are a lot of theories about this one, but many people have claimed that she used to have a, quote, more obvious smile, end quote. Well, wasn't, I mean, I know the eyes were like kind of drawn in a way that they follow you throughout the room. Yes. And could And her be... smile is supposed to be very like Alluring. enigmatic and yeah. mysterious. Yeah. Yes. SAT word. Hey, Look at hey. you. Hey, girl. Yeah. I know. I said I'm an avid reader. I better prove it right now. Son <laughs> of a bitch. Another example is Henry VIII and his turkey leg. For some reason, people distinctly remember a painting showing the King of England wielding a turkey leg. Mm. However, there is no evidence this ever existed. And there's no, like, it was some other king or looked like some other fat dude with a turkey leg and you confused it with Henry VIII? Not in my research. If there is and somebody knows that painting and it's not Henry VIII, 
find that shit. Post it. Yeah, it let us know. One of the most common things that are affected by the supposed Mandela effect is apparently our perceptions of logos. Many people, including Eileen Colts, who also remembered Mandela's death in the 80s, claimed that the original VW logo did not have that line between the V and the W delineating one from the other. However, there is absolutely no evidence to indicate otherwise. So obviously there are way more examples of the Mandela effect than I could ever get into. So instead, we're going to go through a few of the popular logo ones in the form of a little quiz for you. So I'm going to give you some examples and I'm going to ask you which is correct. So the first one is the Looney Tunes logo. Tell me which one is right. I, I know this one. It's um, it's T-U-N-E-S, even though it doesn't make any fucking sense. It is. If you were thinking it was tunes like cartoons, T-O-O-N-S, you are incorrect. It is tunes like musical tunes. Yes. But I remember when I first saw that not being certain initially. Because it's weird. Because you're like, that's not what that is. But you're like, okay, it's cartoons. Like, that's why my brain thought that. But like, okay, obviously. I know why I'm tricking myself there. All right. Next one is Kellogg's Fruit Loops. Ready? Which one is right on that one? The the one that has more of the the loops. The loops? Yeah. Correct. So I loved a fucking Fruit Loop. She loved a Fruit Loop. Okay. Don't fuck so with me. So if you my thought fruit that fruit was actually spelled out with the U and the I, you are incorrect. It is apparently Fruit Loops with fruit spelled F R O O T. The loops. The loops. All right. Next one, Monopoly Man. This one is basically does he have a monocle or does he not have a monocle? The thing is, I remember him with a monocle, but I'm pretty sure he actually doesn't have a monocle. Okay. You are correct. He yeah. does not have a monocle. But if you remember him with a monocle, you are not fucking alone. I remember him with a monocle. Fruit of the Loom logo, cornucopia or no cornucopia? I'm going to say cornucopia. No cornucopia. The cornucopia has never existed. I fucking remember the goddamn cornucopia, though. I remember also thinking, like, proud that I knew what that was and I knew what to call it. But it was a cornucopia. Uh, At, like, a young age, I remember being like... I'm so smart for knowing this word. I found that out right now. I was today years old when I found out what that is. <laughs> Cornucopia. There you go. Uh, all right. We we didn't have those uh, in my Thanksgiving table with my Cuban yeah, family no, in Miami I Beach. wouldn't imagine. <laughs> all right. I also didn't find out what a tricorn was till I was in my 20s. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you know, tricorn, I had it for you. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't, that wasn't Ponce de Leon's thing, Yeah, who the fuck apparently. needs to know that anyway? Yeah. All right. Now for the delicious snack. Cheez-Its or Cheez-It? Cheez-It. She's correct. Fuck yeah. There is no extra Z on Cheez-Its. All right. Blast in the Past cartoon. Flintstones or Flintstones? Oh, fuck. Um, Basically, are there two T's or one T in Flintstones is the question. I'm going to say one T. There are two T's Get the in Flintstones. Get the out. Because it's Flint like the stone. Flintstones. Yup. I like things that are even, like I like a parallel sentence yeah. structure, for yeah. instance. And I feel like, one, it's not aesthetically pleasing it's at all. It's not as aesthetically pleasing. No, you're right. Because it's not parallel and it's not even. And I feel like I would have remembered the two T's because of how distressing that looks to me. It looks pretty distressing. But yeah, apparently everyone forgets the second T. All right, last one. Kit Kats. Hyphenated or not hyphenated? I think hyphenated. No, fuck. Not hyphenated. I fucking remember them hyphenated, though. So there you go. You got a, you got a good percentage of those right, though, I feel like. I failed all of them, for the record. <laughs> when I did it, I got all of the incorrect ones. 
Nothing is safe from the Mandela effect. Even the spelling of certain words has been chalked up to just another example of our collective misremembering. Mm. Dilemma is supposedly one of those words. Many people claim that it's actually spelled dilemna, D-I-L-E-M-N-A, not with two M's. And Wait, even, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Are you saying dilemma is supposed to have two M's? Is supposed Dilemma does have two M's. How do you spell dilemma? I mean, I spell it and then I get a red squiggly or a joke. <laughs> it's like, that's did how, you mean? That's how I spell everything. I was not winning the spelling bee, unlike you. <laughs> So, so, yes. so me me combating this is really, this is not, don't chalk this up to anything because I'm a terrible speller. Um, and, and I have become friends with, with the red squiggly. I always thought it was with an N. It is not. You are not the only person to think it is with an N. But see, I have a problem with this because I know I'm not, this is not my forte or fort, if you want to be classy. <laughs> both both pronunciations are correct, actually. The more I did you not know that. Interesting. Yes. Hmm. But nobody uses that because forte sounds way better. Sounds way better, yeah. And because if you said for it, I'd be like, pillow for it? Yeah. Like, what? Let's get a pillow for this motherfucker. Right? Um, yeah. So I'm having an easy time discrediting myself because I know who's talking. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Yes, yes, yes. The movie quotes is, is tougher for me. Because you know your quotes. I know yeah. my quotes. That one really, yeah, that one will fuck with you. But like I said, many people claim that it's actually spelled dilemma with an M-N instead of two M's. And even... Mignon Fogarty, a.k.a. Grammar Girl on quickanddirtytips.com, said, quote, I'm nearly certain I was taught the wrong spelling in school, and when I got older and checked a dictionary, I was shocked to find the word is spelled dilemma. Further, the only correct spelling is dilemma. I thought it was spelled dilemna. Dictionaries often note alternative spellings and sometimes even non-standard spellings, but dilemma doesn't even show up that way, end quote. I am like... This is fucking with you. You're hard, right? I can tell. Yeah, because I'm running through like movie posters and I'm like, no, I've definitely seen an N in there. Because Dilemma was one of those like Wednesdays, how it's a Wednesday. And you're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. I guess that's English for you. I have to remember another fucking letter that doesn't make any noise. Yeah. And through was thruff and fine. Yeah. Again, the like, that's weird. It's weird. Like the, I remember thinking dilemma is spelled oddly and not how it's supposed to be spelled. If there's just another M in there for funsies, eh, who gives a shit? Yes. So again, many claim they remember it specifically because it was so weird, with some even claiming that they saw it listed as one of the spelling bee words to trip you up. In her search to possibly discover any children's books with that spelling that could maybe have contributed to people learning an incorrect spelling of dilemma, Fogarty says, quote, the wrong spelling dilemma shows up in a few books in the Google book corpus, not a lot of books. It peaked around 1980 and has fallen since, but it's in what I can only call quote unquote serious publications, court reports, books that look like they came from academic presses, journal articles, and so on. They are the kinds of things that are probably written by well-educated people, but that also probably didn't have an extensive copy editor, end quote, meaning it's possible those typos were just coincidences. She was unable to find any children's book or educational text that used the strange alternate spelling. Fogarty wonders if the misremembering occurred because MM words are much more uncommon than words that have MN at the end. So our brains, not used to seeing MM together in a word, changed it to something that we were more familiar with. Michelle Quinion on his Worldwide Words website, quote, speculates that it might also be a misspelling by comparison to less titillating MN words like autumn, solemn, and column. End quote. Okay, I'm going to call bullshit on that because 
Well, bullshit, Monique. Autumn and column, sure. Like, that's kind of the same word. Yeah. And it's at the end of the word. It's not in the middle of the word. No. I wouldn't associate dilemma and autumn ever. No. Other than they're both English words that have letters in them. Basically, yes. So I'm calling bullshit on that. Call bullshit. He says he's found examples in respectable literature going all the way back to the 1700s and notes that because MN and MN look so similar on the page, it would be especially hard to notice that particular misspelling or typo, end quote. I mean, sure. Like my, I have a family, uh, part of my family line is Hernandez. Okay. And it's believed that Hernandez and Fernandez are actually the same family line. But oh, spelling, penmanship. People back then were also not winning awards in penmanship. Yeah, they were just scratching it out. And the F became an H at some point, And then a new line, like a new name was formed. Okay. Even though it was the same family. Yes. Because the handwriting sucked. Crazy. Yeah. So that is a belief. Okay. That Fernandez and Hernandez are actually the same family line. Interesting. It's, it's just a, a typo. All right. So that's... That's possible. You know, it's also- human error is... Always a thing. Yes, yes. It reminds me of the uh, Parks and Rec scene where they throw Ted in the lake because <laughs> yeah. they, the A, they got a little too uh, high with the extra line there and it looked like a D. So yes. they had to throw Ted in the lake. Yes. Even colors have supposedly been quote unquote misremembered. For example, what color is chartreuse to you? Okay. I did Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh, shit. And I had to. I had to memorize like those fifty-two fucking colors. Oh my god! Runson and Mauve, give me a fucking break. <laughs> but but I dumped the rest of them, and because I'm a functional alcoholic, my only concept of chartreuse is the liqueur. Okay. Yes. So there's green chartreuse, and then there's chartreuse, which is like a bright yellow. Okay. That, that is, is my only concept of chartreuse. Apparently, that is correct. But when I was a kid, I remember being told that chartreuse was like a magenta pink. And then I remember in college one time, people were like walking around like doing a sort of impromptu quiz for their like psychology or classroom, which I now think was about this because they went and asked everybody what color, color they chartreuse. thought chartreuse was. And mm. I said magenta pink. And they were like, no, it's ye- like a yellowish green. It's like a very bright yeah. yellow green. Yeah. But yes, it's apparently named after the liqueur. So Is it named you, after the yeah, liqueur? Oh, shit. There you go. The one time I drink there it comes you go. Of course. <laughs> Uh, I don't particularly care for chartreuse. I think it's disgusting. I don't disgusting. know what it is or what it tastes like. It's so. real gross. It tastes like perfume. Ugh. No, thank you. It's it's supposed to be classy, but I'm not going to do it. Get out of here. I'm not classy. As I drink my canned Palomas. There you go. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. It's so good. <laughs> now to my other big experience with the Mandela effect, mm. which comes from my absolute favorite example of it. So in 1996, when I was about seven years old, I remember seeing a commercial on TV for a new movie coming out called Kazam, starring Shaquille O'Neal as a wish-granting genie. Mm. I remember watching the commercial in complete confusion and very specifically thinking they literally just made a movie with Sinbad as a genie and his name was Shazam. Why are they doing literally the exact same thing? Shaking my head at how ridiculous that was, imagine my surprise when decades later I looked it up on a whim and realized there was no such movie starring Sinbad. But apparently, I'm not the only person to remember this movie that never existed. A post about the non-existent movie on the subreddit Glitch in the Matrix blew up with hundreds of people claiming that they too had seen this movie as a kid. 
Though critics of this will point out that false memories will spread more easily in a forum such as this. Because yeah, everyone's like... It's an echo chamber. Yes, yeah, yeah. you're literally just like hearing it back and then your brain is like, oh no, yeah, I remember that too. According to those who quote unquote saw it, in the movie, two children accidentally summon a bumbling genie, Shazam, played by Sinbad, and wish for their dad to fall in love again. Fans have recalled plot details such as a broken doll that gets fixed and a pool party finale scene. One man named Don said he specifically remembers ordering the Shazam movie when he worked at his uncle's movie rental store. He said, quote, I had to handle the two copies we owned dozens of times over the years, and I had to watch it multiple times to look for reported damages to the tape, rewind it, and check it in, rent it out, and put the boxes out on display for rental, end quote. Don says he remembers the film so vividly because customers would bring the video back to the store claiming it didn't work, and he watched it multiple times to try and find- Stop it. The quote-unquote problem with Stop the tape. It. Stop it. Okay, he, that's fucking me up. It's kind of fucking weird. Like, you worked in a fucking video rental store, and you had to watch this movie- A billion times. A billion fucking times. And people are saying that the, it doesn't that it work. it never- It doesn't work. It, Not only that- nothing on And it. now they're saying, this movie never fucking existed. That you are literally making this up, you have a false memory that you are just convincing yourself is true when it's fucking not. Because there's no evidence, literally zero evidence this movie ever existed. I had a situation somewhat similar to this. Okay, which was? When I was much younger, I recall, um, so my older brother was always very smart and always very into, he still is, he's not dead. He uh, really big into history specifically. And, uh, like, when we got the internet uh, and we got a computer in our house for the first time, yeah. the first thing he showed me on the internet was the footage of the Hindenburg explosion. Okay, yeah. Like, oh, the humanity? Like, yeah. that was the first thing that I watched Fun. on the internet Good. as, like, a child. <laughs> Comforting. And because he was my older brother, I wanted him to think I was cool. So I was going to, you, you watch history things, I'm going to do that too. You listen to Metallica, I'm going to do that too. And, uh, spoiler, he never thought I was cool. But... <laughs> One of the things I very much remember him being fascinated with was uh, Rasputin. Okay. And I recall in the early 90s watching a trailer for a Rasputin movie starring Christopher Lloyd. And I remember being like, what? Look at the range. Yeah. And I never watched it, but I very vividly remember this um, trailer. And I remember talking about it with my brother because he was upset. I've mentioned how I have an obsessive personality. It's kind of like a family trait. My brother's incredibly obsessive. Okay. Like, very, like, he can't listen to a song he likes once. He needs to listen to it for three hours on a loop. He's yeah, that yeah. person. Like, I gotcha. we, we watched The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's 20 minutes of watching This Is Halloween on a loop before we can continue the movie. What? He's okay. Very obsessive. I gotcha. So I recall watching this trailer over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then several months ago, I was like, let's. Do a deep dive into Rasputin, shall we? Just like yeah. before this podcast, because that's what I do normally for funsies for myself. Uh, so I was like, oh, let me see if I can find that movie. Nowhere. And it just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. There is, and I was like, okay, well, I looked up Rasputin. No, I looked up Christopher Lloyd. No, I like, and I looked up and I was like, maybe I got the actor wrong. And I looked up Rasputin movies and just nothing matches Weird. what I saw growing up. And I can't imagine them, like, going through all the effort to record enough of the movie to make a trailer to put it out and then be like, no, we're actually not making that movie. But here's the thing. It still show up on IMDb. Yeah. Because there's things that don't get, you know, they, they don't get ordered to series, but the pilot gets made. 
And they're still on it for And it still shows yeah, up on, on the MTV credit. That's very true. So it's not anywhere. Doesn't exist. Yeah. Guys, do any of you know this? Yeah. Do you know the Rasputin movie she's talking about? Do have you, you know the Sinbad Genie have movie? Have you seen the Sinbad Genie movie? Tell us. I remember a Sinbad Genie movie. Thank you. So many fucking people do. I don't remember watching the movie. I just remember the trailers seeing, everywhere. I that too. I remember seeing the Kazam trailer and being like, "They literally just fucking made this movie. Why are they making it again?" Yeah, that's it was ridiculous. A, it, it was one of those um, Armageddon Deep Impact situations. Where yes, two of the same or like Bugs Life, a fucking ants situation. And ants, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it was like two very similar movies coming out at and basically the same, the same time. Yeah. yeah, and I remember thinking like. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, fucking Sinbad must be pissed that they literally just, like, ripped off his movie and, like, shoved Shaquille O'Neal in there. <laughs> right. Like, fuck that. But apparently, this movie never existed, and we're all making it up. Uh, I know. I know. Don also remembers how Sinbad posed on the cover, facing left with his arms crossed and eyebrow raised. Another man who goes by Carl remembers watching it with his sister and has fond memories of discussing it with her over the last 20 years. One day, calls her up, tells her there's no record of this movie whatsoever, and asks her if she remembers it. She's like, yeah, obviously. And they talk about it again. Carl has even gone so far as to have posted a bounty of $1,000 for anyone that can turn up a copy of this movie. Holy shit. Whether it was accidentally kept from a blockbuster or if someone made their own bootleg VHS copy, he wants proof that the movie he fondly remembers is indeed real. Sinbad himself responded to the conspiracy tweeting, quote, I must have played a genie. Everyone says I did. <gasps> Smile. End quote. And. I mean, I guess he's part of the Illuminati. This is, there this is part go. of the plan. Oh, there you go. This is how they get you. <laughs> he also said, quote, have you noticed that no one my age has seen this so-called Sinbad genie movie? Only you people who were kids in the 90s. The young mind. End quote. He also trolled people at one point by admitting, quote unquote, that there was a movie, but he was too embarrassed to release it. So he had the government confiscate them and do some, quote, mind control stuff, end quote, to get people to forget. Sinbad joked saying, quote, there's three tapes left. There are three Shazam videos still out there we did not find. And if we find you, we're going to kill you, end quote. In an attempt to shut down the misconception once and for all and provide a credible explanation for our memory of Sinbad as a genie, Sinbad posted on Twitter crediting user at H.A. Potter with solving the Sinbad genie mystery. According to H.A. Potter, in 1994, Sinbad hosted an afternoon of Sailor the Sinbad movies on TNT. As the host, he dressed up in what I'm assuming is supposed to be a pirate costume, but due to the turban also looks suspiciously like a genie costume. Mm -hmm. Now, for the record, I have no memory of ever watching a Sinbad movie marathon on TNT. Same. Especially since in 1994, I would have been five years old at the time. And that seems like an odd choice for a little kid. Mm -hmm. However, I do specifically remember there being a movie where Sinbad played an actual genie. And I specifically remember that when Kazam came out, I thought that it was a blatant ripoff and that Sinbad must have been so fucking pissed. Mm -hmm. But apparently he's not because that movie, again, never fucking existed. Unfortunately, just because so many other people have these false memories doesn't necessarily make them true. Yeah. It's completely possible for a group of people to share the same false memories. For example, a 2010 study examined people familiar with the clock at the Bologna Central Railway Station, which was damaged in the Bologna massacre bombing in August 1980. The study revealed that 92% of the respondents falsely remembered the clock had remained stopped since the bombing, when in fact, the clock was repaired shortly after the attack. 
It was years later that the clock was again stopped and set to the time of the bombing in observance and commemoration of the event. Mm. In another example, U.S. professor of psychology Jim Cohen demonstrated how easily this can happen using the lost in the mall procedure. In this experiment, Cohen gave his family members short narratives describing childhood events. One about his brother getting lost in a shopping mall was completely made up, and not only did Cohen's brother believe the event occurred, he also added additional detail to the story. This experiment was repeated and applied to a larger sample by Elizabeth Loftus, a cognitive psychologist and expert on human memory. In the experiment, 25% of participants failed to recognize the event was false. I mean, I have I have seen mentalists do this. Yeah. Like, it's a thing that people do. That, yeah. That they can implant you can memories. False memories, yeah. yes. And falsify memories. Yes. Like, you can, there's a thing about, with Simon Pegg and a red bicycle from what? his childhood. He was, like, with one of these mentalists. And earlier in the program, he said he never had a red bicycle. And somehow the mentalist implanted a memory of him having a red bicycle on Christmas morning. And he was like, oh my God, how did you know that? Blah, blah, blah. And it was completely implanted, like way earlier in the day. That's like, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Unless I Mandela infect this and this doesn't no, exist no, I'm... <laughs> This we'll video doesn't we'll exist. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. No, but. And, no, I believe that. I mean, and it he, is he possible, was being like, yeah. oh my God, that was amazing. I can't believe, how did he do that? And it was like, it wasn't a memory. He implanted it. Yeah. It's probably much easier than we think it is, too. For sure. Yeah. According to Dr. Henry Rodiger, one person's report of memory influences another's, and false memories can be spread in this way. Quote, lots of people remember detailed but utterly false memories. In fact, we all have them. I have published on what we named the social contagion of memory, end quote, and what others call, quote, memory conformity, end quote, that may be at work here. Basically, one person's memory infects the other, end mm. quote. I mean, I have heard of the concept of the the collective unconscious. Yeah. And that it's almost like all of our memory is like in the cloud. Yeah. And, and you can we like can all like pick out and like, yeah. We can pick out things, but we can also affect the other memories. Yeah. That they're not specific to us. That that it's a collective thing. Yes. And that so psychic, if enough people think a certain thing, then it'll that change, could the change the thing. I don't know. Interesting. Possible. Possible. Very possible. Our lack of attention to detail, our malleable and fallible memories, and the ease with which we succumb to the power of suggestion are all reasonable explanations for our experiences with the Mandela effect. According to the skeptics, we're all just suffering from confabulation, which is a type of memory error in which gaps in a person's memory are unconsciously filled with fabricated, misinterpreted, or distorted information. Basically, we've just been mildly brainwashed, whether by others or by our own beliefs, into believing these pseudo-memories, and the entire phenomenon is explained away as coincidences or confusion on the part of the observer. And us convincing ourselves that our faulty memories are actually more reliable than all of the evidence to the contrary is just our own hubris and our inability to admit that what we remember might not actually be true. I know, I which is possible. And as someone who has these memories, like, I don't want to be like, oh, my brain's completely infallible. Like, there's no way I can get this wrong. Because there definitely is. I'm not debating that. But I also... But there are things that you, so like, know. clear. Like, this, like, little dialogue I had with myself about the Berenstein Bears and the fucking Sinbad Genie movie. Like, those things stand out to me so fucking clearly. Yeah. So clearly. 
like they stand out because there was another thing attached to it. It's like, you know, it's not something inconsequential per se. Like if you asked me what I wore to Starbucks yesterday, I don't know. I probably get it wrong. And, you know, I'd go off of my memory and it might be right. It might be wrong. But like, yeah. okay, who gives a shit? But I wasn't like, well, I know I wore this specific outfit because I was really excited because the dress finally came in the mail and yes. then, and it fit perfectly that I took it out and I did, and I cut the tags and I was like, fuck, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to walk across the street, get my Starbucks. And I got complimented on my dress. And then for people to say that dress never existed. Yes. You'd be like, no. No. I have all of these very specific memories right. about this. There's no way that it didn't. Yes. Right. That was a really good example. I liked that a Thank lot. Thank you. So good. Thank you. So for those of us who have experienced the Mandela effect and believe that our memories of these events are not fabricated, alternate and more quote unquote paranormal explanations for the Mandela effect include parallel universes, mm. simulation theory, and the butterfly effect. There was so a simulation theory is essentially like the matrix. So we're all, yeah, they were okay. all living in a large simulation. Uh -huh. Yes. Okay. There was a theory going around that CERN, which is the European Organization for Nuclear Research, and their experiments with the Large Hadron Supercollider caused... I thought you were going to say the Hydra cult. No, no. The Hydra cult. Oh my god, no. Hydra has nothing to do with this. She won't leave Bucky alone. <laughs> that their experiments with the Large Hadron Supercollider caused the world to shift into an alternate reality. Some believe that more of these incidents have occurred since CERN was established and suggest that its particle physics experiments are causing the world to shift into parallel universes. What we know as the Mandela effect is really just people recalling their original reality, which is why there are these divergent thoughts about certain things. When asked about the possibility, a spokesperson for CERN said, quote, These imaginative works inspired by our scientific research are works of fiction generated to capture the reader or viewer's sense of wonder and should not be confused with the actual scientific research, end quote. But isn't that what someone who is a opening parallel realities would say? I would think so. Basically, CERN is calling bullshit on all of us. However, we're still not fully aware what the LHC is even capable of. According to CERN's official website, quote, some theories suggest that the formation of tiny quantum black holes may be possible, end quote, with the LHC, though none have yet been reported. So who's to say we fully comprehend the consequences and the reach of these experiments? So, I mean, okay, so here's the thing. This sounds Looney Tunes. T-U-N-E-S. <laughs> I was like, which one, Monique? <laughs> T-U-N-E-S, which is counterintuitive. Yes, but, but the correct one. But the correct one. And, you know, and, and I know it is a... a tactic with like government like for instance with like aliens and stuff yes there's a, a thing that is to basically hide in plain sight where they leak yeah. the story so that it sounds nuts and people and people say it they're the ones who are leaking the story yes to make other people sound crazy so it gives them the ability to discredit them even though it's actually real yes very much like that yes so I mean, girl, you're preaching to the choir. I don't want to believe that I'm wrong. I don't want to believe that I have all these memories that I like made up and I just like no. absorbed a bunch because of shit from other people. Like they're, they're so weirdly specific. Like the fact that like I'm an only child. So like I constantly, I didn't have siblings to talk to. I was constantly by myself. I constantly had like a running commentary yeah. in my head. So like, I remember that commentary. Like it's my fucking. And it's not, you know, I haven't met either of them. But from what I know, I feel like Tom and Diana would have corrected you if you were yeah. wrong about the Berenstein Bears. You would think so. Yeah. No one has ever corrected me. The whole time I was like, they're like a nice 
family of Jewish bears. Like, I didn't understand what yeah. the whole thing was. Yeah. And I'm, my world is rocked that, that they never existed. And they were the Berenstain bears this whole time, apparently. There is also straight up just multiverse theory, like you said, to explain Mandela Effect without any interference from CERN. Though the concept may seem far-fetched, there's solid physics behind it. And there's not just one way to get a multiverse. There are actually numerous physics theories that independently point to such a conclusion. In fact, some experts think the existence of hidden universes is more likely than not. This is probably my favorite explanation for the Mandela Effect, which Ooh. is that we are living in a simulation. Don't so tell me that. what? Don't tell me that. No, no, girl. I don't. I remember someone pulling that shit on me not that long ago. Not that long ago, but uh, several years ago, and I was like, no, girl, I'm not okay with that. You're not okay with that. No. I mean, I'm okay with it. And also, if we're living in a, a I want to say stimulation. <laughs> Stimulating simulation. There you go. <laughs> then why am I so fucking stressed and having to pay bills and shit? That's a simulation. They got it programmed in. They don't what want the to, fuck? They don't want you to have a good time. No. It's bullshit. No. It's a very realistic simulation, Mooney. Neil deGrasse Tyson, director of the museum's Hayden Planetarium, put the odds at 50-50 that our entire existence is a program on someone else's hard drive. Stop! I don't like that. Quote, I don't like that. I think the likelihood may be very high. It is easy for me to imagine that everything in our lives is just a creation of some other entity for their entertainment, end quote. That's fucking Neil deGrasse Tyson, for the record. That makes me really uncomfortable. It's, it's a very upsetting thought, to be fair, to think that you actually might be living in some sort of matrix situation where you're like in a pod hooked up to a computer and they're just fucking... Because that's different from like God created you and... have at it this is very distressing to me i don't like this it's pretty upsetting i'm gonna have seven palomas to forget about (laughs) it (laughs) i hope you have a palate cleanser of a story for us monique you know i have the true crime i do have the true crime story i want to be cleansed in blood after this (laughs) bathed in blood blood. (laughs) like hostile up in this bitch oh According to Scientific American, in 2003, University of Oxford philosopher Nick Bostrom made a popular argument for the simulation hypothesis when he suggested that members of an advanced civilization with enormous computing power might decide to run simulations of their ancestors. They would probably have the ability to run many, many such simulations to the point where the vast majority of minds would actually be artificial ones within such simulations, rather than the original ancestral minds. So simple statistics suggest it is much more likely that we are among the simulated minds, considering the fact that we currently have the capacity to run high-level VR simulations. The thought is not nearly as far-fetched as it seems. I don't like any of this. It's very, it's very upsetting to some people. You know I'm, what? I'm like kind of weirdly comforted sometimes by it, but no. it is a weird fucking thing to think. No, okay, this is not fucking Vanilla Sky. <laughs> I- real and i can name my daughter kurt russell no no <laughs> no this and also vanilla sky is a trash movie oh it's awful it's so god awful watch abre los ojos which is the original oh shit okay. in spanish and yeah. it's penelope cruz as well plays oh the same fuck and it's She's like, amazing yeah. i mean come on yeah and is way more intense because it's like it's european so yeah they don't have like the the pretty um american sensibilities about it no no Vanilla Sky is trapped. We're not we're living trapped. in Vanilla Sky. No. I hope not. God, what an awful movie you're trapped in forever. Great soundtrack. Cameron Crowe. I'll take your word for it. I don't even remember the soundtrack. He's he's the same director as uh, Almost Famous. Full disclosure, never saw that either. 
It's not as good as everyone decided it is, but it's a killer soundtrack. All right. And, yeah. so, and solid Well, he's a music journalist in it, right? So, like, that would make sense. Because that's what he, he used to be. It's based on his life. Gotcha, gotcha. And he, like, married a rock star and shit. Oh, shit. Camera Go knows his music. All right. There you go. But this is not fucking Vanilla Sky. I'm putting my goddamn foot down. No, no. My size 11 <laughs> chucks right down. down. The foot is down, people. It's down. It's going to stay down. Damn straight. <laughs> Damn straight. In the book Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot, the author's real-life experiences with shifts in reality, which he supposedly noticed objects moving around him regardless of where he lived, he would sometimes awaken to find socks draped on his houseplants and occasionally found objects in his apartment that he knew for a fact had been hundreds of miles away. He's haunted. That's different. He just has a ghost. Relax. <laughs> or an incubus. Join the club. Welcome. I know, right? Who doesn't at this point? You, this girl. <laughs> I do. You do. <laughs> I don't have an incubus. Again, this is the only crazy thing, quote unquote, crazy thing that's ever happened to me. And literally, I'm sure 90% of the people who talk to you would just think I was a fucking stoner idiot who can't remember anything. But that's fine. Except you, you have very visceral memories You can it. believe whatever the fuck you want about it. Right. I remember exactly. what I fucking thought when each of these things occurred. So the author's real life experiences with shifts in reality combined with his training in physics led him to explore possible reasons for these mysterious happenings. Talbot begins his book with an introduction to physicist David Brahm's concept of the holographic model of the universe and combines this with Carl Freebrum's work on the holographic model of the brain. The result is a description of a non-local, interconnected, and alive universe that moves in response to our every thought and feeling. Basically, Talbot claims that we are able to alter reality around us with just our thoughts, hmm. which, if you've read The Secret, is like the same right, basic yeah. principle of that. I mean, but like, I mean, vibes are a thing, though. Vibes are a thing. You walk into a place, you're like, I don't want to fucking be here. This you is, you yeah, meet a person, I, you're like, no. no. You know, and every few years you see the the experiments of the kids who talk nice to the plant and the kids who talk shitty to the plant. Yeah. The, the, sh the plant that's been shit on is dying. Dying. So, like, yeah, those are real things. Yeah. I agreed. I know. Those are real. These things happen. I sound like an argumentative <laughs> But no, that's not, not my intention. No, no. I'm a she's, she's correct, and she's adding <laughs> useful information to this. Facts. <laughs> Thank you. Edward Lorenz states that in chaos theory, the butterfly effect is the idea that small causes may have large consequences mm -hmm. or sensitive dependence on initial conditions. Originally, it was used in weather prediction models, and this term came from the idea that the minor flap of a butterfly's, or as it was originally described, seagulls wings could result in major variables in the formation of a tornado weeks afterwards other authors suggest that the butterfly effect can also be observed in quantum systems which this also brings up another theory portrayed in a science fiction short story so i mean take from that what you will i thought you were gonna bring up jurassic park no kind of sound of thunder by ray bradbury did you read that in school did you have to read that no oh i love ray bradbury i'm such a fucking sci-fi nerd i'm I... such a sci-fi nerd I didn't read any sci-fi. Ah, uh, he did Fahrenheit 451. Do you have to read that? Instead, that's usually what everybody had to read by him. Yeah, I don't recall reading it, though. Oh, I think I read a little bit of it, and I was like, mm, give me my free piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a short story, and if anybody's interested, and you can, I'm sure you can find it online, go read it. It's fucking super good. It'll probably take you like 15 minutes. Uh, it's one of those things that even sticks with me to this day. If you don't want to read it, I'm going to summarize it for you anyway. So there you go. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Portrayed in the 1952 short story by Ray Bradbury called A Sound of Thunder. And it's this idea that with time travel, any changes to the past would have unknown consequences in the present. 
In the story, a client of a time-traveling safari company accidentally steps off the approved path and unbeknownst to him onto a butterfly. When he returns to the present, he realizes that he's killed the butterfly with his boot. Hmm. And the death of that one butterfly changed little details about his version of reality. When he got back, words were spelled slightly differently and pronounced differently, and another political candidate was in office that wasn't before. Mm. This sci-fi classic presents the idea that altering even the tiniest thing in the past can have a far-reaching ripple effect on subsequent historical events and our reality as we know it. Obviously, this is just a fictional story. However, it begs the question, if time travel is discovered in the future, could these travelers have affected our version of reality? Oh, shit. Even accidentally. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ponder it. Again, there's absolutely no evidence to indicate that this is ever going to be the case. But the idea that we've discovered time travel in the future, people keep coming back trying to fix things, maybe. And fucking little things up in the process that then all of us have these memories of something being one way because that's what our original timeline included. But then when they came back and changed something, that veered the timeline in another direction. So all of our memories of that original timeline are now false according to our real timeline. But we have all these memories that we are so sure are correct because they technically were at one time. Okay. So think about that one. I, I another mean, another quote-unquote far-fetched explanation for the Mandela effect. No, I feel like that's the one I'm most on board with. The time traveler one? Yeah. I mean, that's the one I kind of wish is the most true, but that might just be because I love Ray Bradbury and The Sound of Thunder. I mean, it also is the, the plot line of my favorite Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. Okay. Which is probably based on that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a butterfly. He goes back. That. Yeah, he goes back in time and stops on a butterfly and keeps coming back and things get fucked up and he yep. keeps going back and keeps going back and then he finally comes back and everything's perfect and it's back to the way it was and he's like, oh, okay, thank God. And then he asks Marge for a donut and she goes, a donut? What's a donut? He goes, <gasps> and then he, he runs back into the time machine and the second he runs back into the time machine, it starts raining donuts and she uh, goes, oh look, it's raining. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, the time travel one is curious. It's curious, right? Because I feel like a lot of the other ones are just gaslighting me. The other ones have some, like, physics behind them, though. Sure. Which makes them more plausible than obviously just, like, time travelers. So, yes. Of course. Of course, yes. Because the time traveler theory is just wildly speculative. Yes, of course. But it feels like it makes the most sense. Uh, Right? The whole time, the whole time I was doing my research for this, I just like had this in the back of my head was the sound of thunder because I was like, this is fucking what's happening. Like literally when he gets back into the office, like the time travel safari company, like the name is you different. Mean, it's spelled different. Like you mean Berenstein and yes, yes, girl, Amy, this is what's happening. We've, we cracked the we case. We cracked the case. Our Mandela first effect. <laughs> 23 really... ups in. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Time travel. You're welcome. It's time traveler. <laughs> So, what exactly is happening? Do our brains just have a bunch of faulty wiring and we're actually idiots who can't remember anything properly? Or are we actually experiencing something involving variations in our original timeline? A parallel universe or various simulations with different variables where only the most minute differences can be seen between one reality and another. There's no way to know, and until the existence of parallel, alternate universes or timelines or proof that we've been living in a simulation is found, Psychological theories of confabulation remain the most plausible explanations for the Mandela effect. 
But for those of us who claim to have visceral memories of these things, it's harder for us to dismiss it as just all in our heads. So I always say nothing happens to me except apparently the Mandela effect and deja vu. But it it's one of those things like it's not really fun. It just makes you sound crazy or like you don't remember things properly. Like okay. having to explain it to somebody makes it sound like you're just like you Amy, fucking remember shit. Saying like I was attacked by an incubus <laughs> doesn't not make me sound crazy. You had like bruises and marks and things on you though. Like yeah. you literally have to take my word that my subjective memory is real and valid. See, here's yeah. So I understand that's how that's easier to disprove and discredit. Yeah, I mean, yes. Because one, you have to take my word for it. And two, you have to actually believe that my memory is not faulty in any way, shape, or form. Right. And here's the thing. I am more prone to believe memory, oddly enough, memories from when you're younger, from much longer ago. Because I remember reading this thing about how how our brain stores memory and how memory works. And part of it is like how we process time. Okay. Because when we're younger... You know, it's it's like a computer, right? Yeah. Your brain's essentially a computer. And there's no data on it. Yeah. It's so, like you have all the RAM. You, you have want. all the yeah. RAM. And so, you know, remember being in school as a kid and the day was forever? Yeah. Because it was. And the thing is, is that the more data that we have accrued, it has fucked up with how we're processing time because we're basically running the processes of the memories and all the other data we have that we're not processing time correctly anymore. Interesting. That's why you're like, where did the month go? Where did the week go? It's like flew by. Yeah. You never had that as a kid ever. No. Even when you were playing and doing your favorite thing, you knew you were outside for 10 hours. Yeah. You were never like, I just got here. Why are we leaving? Yeah. Right. So because of things like that and because of the, the machinations of it, even though it, it sounds counterintuitive because it's technically longer ago. Yes. You basically had more RAM available to remember things more viscerally then than you do now. I believe that. And my childhood memories to me are far clearer than For my sure. adult memories. Like, I honestly doubt everything after the age of like 25. For sure. If I'm being generous with myself. Whereas like my childhood memories are ridiculous ridiculously clear to me and that's also when you're like neuro pathways like the grooves are being made yeah that you know my mom i'm not gonna i'm not gonna dox her age because she would never forgive me but (laughs) she's older than i am i mean she has to be she has to be so she's older than i am and she has very visceral specific memories from you know she left cuba when she was 11 yeah and she has memories of like second grade Okay. She has memory that I remember we went to the Dominican Republic and we went to an ice cream shop and they gave, uh, they were offering samples. Okay. And they got the little scoop thing and gave her the sample and she started losing her shit because she's like, I haven't seen these plastic. Like little spoons. spoons, Like the baby spoons. But very specifically these kind since Cuba in 1964. Oh shit. Okay. And she remembered that. Wow. My mom hasn't been in Cuba since 1966. Holy shit. And she was like, oh my God, oh my God. And then she like, she made such a thing that the guy gave her like multiple spoons and they were different colors or whatever. But she was like, I remember this. Like, yes. And there was no way of like being like, this kind of reminds me. It might be. She was like, these are the fucking spoons. These are the spoons. Yes. Yeah. You know? And, And again, it's because we have, our brains aren't filled up with a bunch of other shit of all of the data we collect every second of every day, years and years and years and years. Yeah. 
that's clogging everything else. That's why we remember things very clearly. Yeah. Because they're yeah. very imprinted because there was nothing else there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm glad you're not chalking this up to just me being a fucking stoner who doesn't remember anything, but... No, I mean, when I initially heard about the Mandela effect, it was like, okay, well, some people remember that he died and some people didn't. And I was like, okay. And then it was like, people remember watching the, like, funeral, funeral. procession on TV. I'm yeah. like, okay, that's weird. And then again, like, the the Berenstein, Berenstein, I was like, well... Yeah. yeah. It was like, okay, maybe they were just glancing at it too soon or, or like, just, just didn't really pay attention. Yeah. Or just someone mispronounced it and it kind of stuck like the yeah. Dialatov pass as opposed to Dyatlov yes. pass. Because there's like 50 A's in it and you're like, sure. Sure, whatever. Who knows where they are. Yeah. So I just thought, I was like, oh, well, you just heard it wrong. And then yeah. it's just, we've telephoned it. Exactly. Forward. We yes. passed it on. Yes. But there are things in there that are compelling to me. Good. Yes. I feel very viscerally about my yeah. small experience with them. So it's one of those things like... Because you see white people. I do see white people. That's the whole fucking joke of it. Like, yeah. so tell us tell us your Mandela effect experiences. I want to know. Did you guys see white people or did you see dead did people? Did you see dead people? It's yes. Movie. It's like, did you see the Sinbad Genie movie? I need to know. We need to know. DM us. Is it really just Kazam and we're all just fucking crazy and we are making this up? Sorry, Sinbad. Guy at the movie place, the rental place. Though. The rental place. Don fucking knows. Like he's had to see it so many fucking times. He had to specifically order it. If I was him, I would be going fucking insane. Mm-hmm. It's time travelers. So yeah, time travelers, dude. That's I the thing that makes wish. sense to me. I fucking wish. It also makes me oddly more comforted than we're all living in a simulation. The time travelers. I one? don't know why. I kind of get that. But yeah. Because, because one I'm gives real. you hope for the future, that there, we're going to get to a future in which, one, we invent time travel. I don't even give a fuck about that. I mean, that's cool. Because that's also assuming that that will exist in our lifetime, which may not. Yeah. May, may not. I don't fucking know. But that posits that I'm real, as opposed to a simulation. And I have a problem thinking not I'm being not real. real. Yeah. You can still be real in the simulation. No, because then I'm like a program that's being run. Yeah. And, like, the reason I have my neuroses and whatever is because someone coded me that way. Yeah. You got that neuroses code. No, thank you. Yeah. And, and that eliminates the whole, like, free will that Catholics are really into. And atheists are into. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Unless they program that. Unless it's, like, when you had, like, the free-range sim going on and you just, like, fast-forwarded time and you didn't really control what they did and they just, like, did their own thing. I hated The Sims. I thought it was the stupidest thing ever. Maybe this is why I'm okay with simulation theory. Because I'm like, it's just like The Sims. Like, it's I somebody controlling me as their sim. Hate oh, this The Sims. I literally... Hate is the word I'm using here. I literally, like, no phrases in Sim. That's how much I played The Sims. Like, this gra is a Friday shay and a rope to snan, a snothin ben jeekin, ah, teg teg. Like, literally, I've played so much fucking Sims that I can literally, like, speak phrases of Sim. It's ridiculous. I hated the <laughs> it's Sims. so much fun! I hated how much oh. you had to teach them to do bullshit. I hated oh, that so they would put their plates on the floor. Oh, yeah, they're And they piss themselves. Oh, I, yeah. Why am I doing this? You have to do everything for them. I can just live my motherfucking life. It's a simulation, Monique. No, thank you. <laughs> Monique's not about it. No, not at all. <laughs> all right. You want to bring us back to the real world then? You want to give us some like real true crime to get into? Yeah, I guess so. I got to yeah. cut this shit. I know. 
If anyone wants to fall down a rabbit hole, just start Googling Mandela effects. I'm sure you'll stumble across a few that you're like, wait, this is not my fucking memory of this. Like this has to be fucking incorrect. There has to be proof that my memory is correct. There are so fucking many. As many examples as I included in here, literally scratching the surface. There are so many other ones that people believe, little fucking random ones. So if you're interested, maybe spend a little bit going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. You'll be entertained. Let us know what you think. Are yeah. We fucking are we fucking Sims? <laughs> Is it time travelers? What's happening? I'm not here for the Sim bullshit. Parallel universes? Send us your Mandela Effect stories. Yeah. For our true listener tales, if you have any. Yeah, for sure. That was amazing. Thank you. I definitely didn't expect to be as invested as I ended up being. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. I know. Is it the quizzes that got you? No. No, okay. No, it was it was the movie quotes. Yeah. Because I know a fucking movie quote. It's literally on my Oops. acting resume that I'm fluent in movie quotes. That's literally <laughs> on my in my skill section. That I can speak in movie quotes. It's like he never said hello, Clarice. <sighs> I know. That one gets me too. And Time traveler feels plausible. Right? As someone who is not a scientist. So don't listen to a fucking thing I'm saying. I enjoy that. I included it it for a reason, despite it having really no sort of scientific background to prove it, obviously. But it's interesting to contemplate. It comforts me more than we're all in a simulation. Okay, that's good. Well, you got a 50 shot, so may not be. So you want to bring us back to the real world? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cleanse us a new true crime. <laughs> Bring us back to the real world, Monique. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna. Take us out of the simulation. Yeah. So I am one of those who on Sunday oxygen used to have like a snapped marathon. Yes. And it was the best. You could like do your laundry, do housework, and just have it running in the background. You're like, yeah. But oxygen has a lot of shows that are like snapped. That oh, aren't yeah. snapped, but, you know, if they're running them all together, it's, like, women they're who kill. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and Deadly attraction. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they all have amazing names. Yes. Informative murder porn. Thank you, South Park. Yes. It's the exactly. best. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So I heard this story in the early 2000s during one of those binge watchathon okay. Sundays. Yeah. I didn't remember this person's name, and I basically just Googled specific things that I've remembered. It's my favorite way to find some shit. (laughs) That's how I found this story. Yes. And the story. Don't even want to imagine how weird that Google search was. No, right right at the top. It was like immediately. Uh, And it was like all these things. So I was like, oh shit, that was much easier than I expected it. I love that. And the story I'm going to be telling today is that of Terry Jendusa Nikolai. That's a hell of a name. All right. Yeah. Sources. ABC News, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, JournalTimes.com, ChicagoTribune.com, Women'sDay.com, MyRacineCounty.com, and the program in an instant. Terry Jendusa grew up in a Milwaukee suburb. She lived a normal, idyllic life. She had a wonderful family that consisted of three siblings and parents who had been happily married for 52 years. Damn! Right? She had lots of friends and really enjoyed school, and as often is the case with young women, Terry was in a hurry to settle down and get married and start a family of her own. You know, which I get yeah, it, but... It's, yeah. Wait, this is the 2000s, right? Uh, this is the late this is, 90s. Okay. Like, this is like mid-90s. Mid, okay. Mid-90s. While she met David Larson back in college, 
It would be a few years later when he resurfaced in their circle of friends, and she thought David was a catch. He was fun-loving, hard-working, had a good job as an air traffic controller, owned his own home. Okay, shit, yeah. Right? Fuck. He was very active in his church. The two got on very well, and she quickly realized that the family-oriented ex-Marine wanted a lot of the same things that she wanted. He told her that he was ready to have a family, and on paper, he looked great. It was everything that Terry wanted. Which, if you watch any of these... I was like, oh, well, not going to get my hopes up, because... I mean... I have a feeling it's not going to go well. If someone is beloved by all and lights oh, up yeah, a room, no. mm. it's not looking good no. for you, sweetheart. This Everything was picture perfect. Till it wasn't. <laughs> exactly. Yes. During their courtship, David treated Terry very well and made it a point to treat her like she was special. But the way David treated other people didn't always sit well with her. He was known to have an explosive temper. And the first time a red flag went up, was when they were driving and came across a barricade with a worker holding up a stop sign. And he promptly flipped his shit. He got out of the car and screamed at the person holding the stop sign, saying if they didn't move, he was going to run them over. He's just doing his job, dude. Can you chill for 10 seconds? And just fucking, like, wait. Wait, or just They'll turn the sign to slow in, like, fucking 15 seconds. Chill out. Uh, That seems like a... Uh, it's a disproportionate response. That is exactly what I was trying to say. Yes. Absolutely. A hundred fucking percent. There's no reason to that. Correct. Terry was shocked. And she asked, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And he, yeah. was, uh, he said that he was stressed out and he was running late. So whatever. She just chalked it up to him having a bad day Ugh. because he would never do anything like that to her. Yeah. It's the first red flag. So you're oh. like, ah, oh, it's a fluke. And I've, I've dated men who have really bad tempers and... Yeah. And some of those things, like, if it's not directed at you, it's easier to just be like, okay, just like, whatever, he's getting right. mad at it. Yeah. And this is also, it, it, during this time period, this is the time period where the concept of psychological abuse and emotional abuse isn't really, isn't a, really thing. a thing. Gaslighting yeah. isn't a thing. Yeah, it's, it's very true. He's not hitting me. He's hitting the thing next to me. But he's not hitting me, so he's not yeah. abusing me. Like, that's still... Very much the mentality. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. After only a year of dating, the couple married in April of 1966, and Terry had what they described as a fairy tale wedding, with the invitations even saying, quote, dreams do come true, uh, end quote, which- Optimism. You know that yeah. the, like, the snapped or whatever the fuck people were like- Oh, eating that Salivating with a over this. Mm, 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 mm. Yummy. Terry was certain that her fairy tale wedding was going to be a fairy tale marriage. And friends and neighbors agreed. They looked like the perfect couple. Uh, I mean, this is boilerplate. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. Checking all my boxes right oh now. Oh my already. God. I know. However. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Let me guess. It didn't get better. It got worse. Are you a psychic? <laughs> I'm going to do said- next week's story on you, Amy. <laughs> I'm Amy Allen and my partner, Steve. <laughs> Steve DeShawby. Oh. <laughs> Why don't you move? I'm about to oh, stop <laughs> control. Oh my god! No, it didn't get better. <laughs> Thank you for validating my psychic uh, prophecies. Thank you. It wouldn't be long before the paint started to peel on their perfect veneer. While on their honeymoon in Hawaii, they had a fight over what she was going to wear. 
they were going to go hiking later, and David wanted his new bride to wear a bikini, and Terry wanted to wear... Like hiking clothes. Clothes, yeah. Yeah, actual clothing. Like a fucking regular person. (laughs) Like a shirt and maybe some shorts. Cargo shorts, yeah. And so they get into it over this, and she's like, no, I'm going to fucking wear my clothes. It's my hot body, I'll do what I want, yeah. We're going hiking. Yeah. Relax. So she stuck to her guns because she's a fucking Good adult. Good for her, yes. And he punched her in the back of the head. <gasps> what a fucking piece of shit. You, how about you go hiking a bikini, fucktard? Like, what? Fuck you. Get out of here. And Terry was fucking stunned and caught off guard because, you know, she knew his temper. She was aware of it, but it had never been directed towards her. And he'd never yeah. been physical. Oh. And... It was at that moment that she realized she wasn't immune from his volatility. Oof, that's so scary. Then David told her, quote, You do what I say. We're married now. You are bought and paid for. <gasps> End quote. I literally just gave myself chills. I did too, but it was like a chill of disgust. Like it was yes. a wave of disgust over my body. Like, oh. I want to punch him in the face so badly, right? Like I have a fucking clenched fist right now. Like, yeah. oh. So she's like, cool, fuck you, I'm done. Yeah. I'm out. Like, this Good. Is, no, goodbye. Good for you, Terry. Get the fuck out of there. You know, she was going to go to the airport, get on a plane, go home. Like, she was not going to put up with this. Fuck you. And then she realized David was the one who had the airline tickets. Oh, no. And Terry didn't have any cash. And all the credit cards were in his name. <sighs> Oof. She felt trapped. And also, this is That's 1996, guys. They trapped you. They know what the shit. fuck they're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. She felt trapped, but she also felt guilty. Oh, no. Terry said, quote, How can I possibly get married and just a couple of weeks later want a divorce or want to be separated? It would make me look like a fool. End quote. And I definitely know people that not this level. I get that, though. Yeah. But a few months into their marriage, they were like, what the fuck? This is not working. Yeah. This is really not what I signed up for. But you're like, my mom spent $40,000 on a wedding and I can't yeah. be like, oh, sorry, I completely fucked that up. Yeah. I my really bad. I don't want to be with him forever, JK. But when somebody shows you a completely different side of themselves after you're married, done. You Goodbye. have, yeah, you are totally allowed to be like, you are not, literally not the person I married and I do not want to be married to this person. And if there's someone- nothing wrong with that. And if someone says some shit to you, they can go fuck themselves. Yeah. And to steal a line from Mama RuPaul, if they don't pay your bills, pay them no mind. Damn fucking straight. Right. Fuck other people who have their opinions about what you're doing with your life. Yeah. Fuck you. Here's the thing. Their honeymoon was just a taste of what was to come. David became incredibly controlling. He didn't allow Terry to work. That was literally on their honeymoon that was happening? Yeah. He punched her on the honeymoon. My God. All right. All right. Yeah. In Hawaii, which what the fuck do you have to be upset about? Come on, dude. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. This is on the honeymoon. He basically. It was like, what? How long are you going to be on your honeymoon? Like two weeks? Like you couldn't keep it together for two fucking weeks? Like basically waited for the ink to dry on the marriage license to be like, like, I'm going to fucking smack this bitch around. Great. Yeah. Ugh. What a fucking piece of shit. It's only going to get worse. Of course. It's the true crime portion uh, of the show. And again, the honeymoon was just a taste of what was to come. David became incredibly controlling. He didn't allow Terry to work or have credit cards in her name. Oof. He installed locks on the inside of the doors that only his keys <gasps> would open. Oh my God. No, 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 no. 
He fought and screamed at his new bride over the most insignificant things. This poor baby. I know. This poor woman. Ugh. And she's like in her late 20s. She does not deserve any of this. No, okay. Terry. He would yell at her if the window curtains were out of place or if the towels weren't folded in a certain way. It's literally- I've literally never met a man who gave a shit how towels were folded. Like, this is the one guy on the fucking face of the planet who gives a shit? Like, what? No, the only time I ever saw that was- It was a Julia Roberts movie, isn't it? Sleeping with the Enemy? Where the guy's, like, super, like, the towels need to be folded in a certain way and he beats the shit out of her and she, like, escapes and, like, fakes her own death or some shit. This sounds great. I've never seen those. I might have to watch this. Yeah. I I think it's sleeping. There's a lot of movies in that time that were, like, the exact same title but, like, kind of different. So I think think that one's Sleeping with the Enemy. But it's... Is this going to be Double Indemnity all over again, Monique? Is that what you're telling me? God damn it. I know what the premise is (laughs) and I know Julia Roberts is in it. But that he was the thing about like the uh, towels and everything had to be perfect. That's the only time I've ever fucking seen this. Uh, and this doesn't appear to be, even though OCD is a control issue. Yeah, I was gonna say, was he diagnosed at any point? None of okay. it. None okay. of that shows up. It just seems like he, because people who have this control might have issues, been an excuse for him for sure. Yeah, people who have control issues are massively insecure, and he just needed to control her. And I think he would just find any reason to do to that. Do it. Yeah, because he was a sack of shit. Clearly. He insisted she keep the door open when she was showering or using the bathroom so that he could see her, like, all of the time. I actually knew someone that this was a thing. Growing up, there was a a, the mother of one of the kids I went to kindergarten with. Her husband needed to have eyes on her in the house (gasps) at all times. Weird. Yeah. Weird, weird, weird. And I think had, like, trackers on her and shit like that. Like, girl, girl, you don't need to be married that badly. No, right? But I also get it. I, I get because it, it never starts as physical abuse. It always starts as emotional abuse. Yeah, first. And, it's, and then your people show you a different side of themselves, so they lull you into a false sense of security, exactly. and then you, yeah, yeah, you don't realize till you fucking again when the fucking shit signed, yeah, dried, mm-hmm. then you're fucking in it. She was so afraid of his explosive reactions to like insignificant accidents, like breaking a glass, oh, no. that she would throw out any incriminating evidence in a neighbor's garbage bin. <gasps> On one occasion, David pulled a freezer-burned sausage link out of the trash and berated her for wasting his money. <gasps> like, this is wild. Oh, yeah. This, this is, is next level. next level. No, 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 no. She'll never forget the evening that David picked a fight over spaghetti. Oh, my God. Okay. Terry was making dinner and had all of the ingredients out on the counter when her husband demanded that she put the package of noodles away before they, quote-unquote, went bad. Noodles don't go bad. They're dried. What are you talking about? They're literally a dried good. That's correct. And when she said that, being like, they don't, don't go bad. bad. And yeah. like, do you want to fucking eat Unless dinner just, or not? Yeah. Like, he responded that it didn't matter if it made sense or not. He was the man of the house and she would do as he said. No, you need to make sense. You need to make logical sense as a person. Otherwise, I'm not going to just fucking follow your fucking rules right whim. but no. the thing is she says that she fucking gets popped gets, in the mouth yeah it gets fucking punched in the back of her head oh initially terry had stayed in the marriage hoping to change david which no you can't funny, change people you cannot no unless they want to change themselves you cannot exactly change and it none of the, it doesn't say any of this here but what i'm guessing also is in very they don't they're not abusive the whole time 
No, of course. They and then what they do phase. And you know, they do some crazy shit. And then they love bomb you afterwards. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. It's just because of work and I'm, you I'm know, so this and that. And then they and buy yeah. jewelry or they take mm-hmm. you out to dinner. They do something nice and you're like, okay. He, and then he's you rationalize like this it. all the time. He's just stressed. He's sorry. Right. Yep. And none of that is said, but that is a very common pattern with abusive yes. types. Safe to assume that's happening. Right. I, yeah. I just, it's that, that is my interpretation of it, but that is not said anywhere. So that's my poetic license on, on the scenario. So when she realized that he wasn't going to change, mm-hmm. that wasn't going to happen, she attempted to leave her abuser on several occasions. But he always got her to stay by saying that kids from broken homes commit suicide. That's right. Shortly after they got married, Terry got pregnant. Oh, no. Their daughter, Amanda, was born in 1997. And two years later, they welcomed Holly into the world. And I don't know if these pregnancies were intentional, you know, the whole a baby will fix it and calm him down thing. So this next statement, again, is also purely speculative on my part. But if that's why Terry got pregnant, thinking that a baby would calm him down, that unfortunately proved to not be the case. Oof, yeah. Over the course of their marriage, the police responded to several domestic violence calls at their home. One night when he came home in a rage and Terry can't even remember what the fuck he was just going on about because his rampages were such a regular occurrence. Her oldest daughter, Amanda, was two years old at the time, and Holly was just a newborn. David came home and started screaming about who the fuck knows what, and it got to the point that the toddler started crying, crawled under the table, covered her ears, and started yelling, shut up, (gasps) to which her father snapped back, you don't tell me to shut up. This is a toddler. This is a two-year-old. Oh my God. Who's crying because you're behaving like a madman. And yelling at you to shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And sobbing. That's when Terry knew she had to get out of there. If not for her, then for her two children, because this was not the life she wanted for them. When David was at work, Terry called her friend Jan and asked if she could take them to a women's shelter. And with a few belongings, a two-year-old and a two-month-old, Terry Jandusa left her abusive husband after three years of marriage and filed for divorce in November of 1999. David Larson fought this divorce tooth and nail every fucking step of the way. He had made a vow of till death do us part, and he intended on keeping that (gasps) vow. Oh no, no, no. Foreshadowing. I know. (laughs) But the divorce had spawned a bitter legal battle with Terry fighting for full custody. Terry fought in court to prove that her ex was not fit to have joint custodial relationship. When they asked if he had abused the children, Terry said, not yet. And she argued, quote, he's violent towards me. Why should he be alone with our kids? End quote. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. Exactly. But because there wasn't any abuse towards the children, even though he would regularly beat the fuck out of Terry. But who gives a fuck about her? She clearly doesn't matter. And beating your wife apparently doesn't show a pattern of abuse. Oh, my God. Not to mention, the court was impressed by the fact that a father wanted to spend time with his children, which, is that the bar that we have dads at? It's low. It's real low, apparently. What the fuck? So the court granted David Larson joint custody, allowing unsupervised visits, despite Terry repeatedly saying that he was unwell and dangerous. The custody arrangement meant that Terry was forced to have regular close contact with her abuser. Two times a week, they would have to meet up and do the exchange of the kids. And every time he would scream and yell and swear, leaving her feeling trapped and that the threat of violence was always near. 
This Guys, poor woman. Oh I my know. god. On January 31st, 2001, their divorce was finalized. And as the former spouses walked out of the courtroom, Terry recalled seeing David crying, and she thought to herself, Why is he crying? He hates me. He's fucking horrible to me. Her spurned ex then turned to her and said, quote, You're going to regret this. Whether it's months from now or years from now, you're going to regret this. End oh, quote. No. And Terry, being a queen and a total boss, responded, quote, The only thing I regret is marrying you. End quote. Damn. Damn. Good for you. Fuck yeah. I can't do the. I love a clap back. Mm. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I can't do the tongue pop. Yeah, it was pretty good. No. But that's what deserves to be here. And after that response, because get it. Yeah. Get a queen. Shortly after Terry left David in 1999, she joined a professional choir. There she met some really lovely people, including Nick Nikolai. And they hit it off immediately and started dating. He was a good, positive male role model for her girls, which obviously they didn't fucking have in their dad. Yeah, for sure. And in October of 2003, Nick and Terry tied the knot. Terry had moved on, but David had not. I did uh, not expect that to be a rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> She's a poet. She didn't even know it. Yes. David was still living in the house they shared when they were married in conditions that bordered on hoarding. He had held on to mementos from their wedding, including her wedding dress, photo albums, and video footage, which he would show to their young daughters as proof that, quote, mommy doesn't keep her promises, (gasps) end quote. How sick and fucked is that? That's so manipulative. Oh, that's disgusting. It's, he's a trash person. Oh, I hate, I hate him so much. There's nothing I like about him. It's going to get worse. Uh, Spoiler, it's going to get worse. It always gets worse. David continued to verbally and physically assault Terry whenever she would drop off or pick up their girls. It got so bad that she began insisting they exchange their kids in public places like McDonald's or a hardware store. Wow. Yeah. There was an incident during one of the pickups that David punched Terry in the face. (gasps) So she called the police. They showed up, took pictures, wrote a report, sent it to the DA. And the DA decided not to press charges because he didn't think he had enough evidence. What? This is insanity. This is insanity. Yeah. This is like fucking negligence or some shit. I mean, yes. Yeah. And things like this kept happening. And he kept getting away with it. Like nothing was getting done. To remove the fear and danger from her life, she sought a restraining order and sole custody of the girls. After repeatedly and unsuccessfully trying to get a restraining order. On January 22nd, 2004, Terry was finally granted a restraining order against her abusive ex-husband. Even though the order barred David from possessing weapons, Terry knew that he still kept firearms in the house, but without the search warrant needed to prove the guns were there, police had no way of enforcing the order stipulation. Wow. Yeah. That's fucking so scary. Yeah, and I wasn't aware of this, but... I thought restraining orders were kind of like a one and done, but apparently there's... You have to keep renewing them or... Well, you definitely have to keep renewing them. Okay. But there's all different kinds of restraining orders. There's like, I can call you, but you can't call me restraining orders. Oh, okay. There's like, we can only meet... In public. In public. Sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can't show up to my house restraining orders. You can't show up to my work restraining... So it's not just like, I don't see you ever again. Like there's a whole spectrum of restraining orders. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I really realized that. Which explains what's going to happen next. On the night of January 30th, 2004, Terry found out that she was pregnant. 
The couple was elated and they couldn't wait to share the happy news with the girls. But because it was David's custody day, the good news would have to wait until morning after Terry picked them up. On January 31st, 2004, the following morning and on the three-year anniversary of Terry and David's divorce, Terry got ready to pick up the girls from their father's house. She called up her ex to inform him that she was going to be there by 10 and to please not be late. They had a full day ahead of them. She was going to take the girls shopping before heading over to a birthday party. Not to mention, Terry couldn't wait to share with her daughters that they were going to be expecting another sibling. Nick, her husband, offered to go with Terry to pick up the girls, but she told him no because two weeks prior, Nick had accompanied her on the pickup, and that enraged David so much so that Nick almost had to call the cops. Wow. Terry thought that Nick's presence was just going to make things worse, and she just wanted to go. Oh, no. Okay. She just wanted to go and pick up the girls and leave it alone and not create any problems, so she went by herself. Use the buddy system. Use the buddy system, Uh, Terry. You need an accountability buddy. Yes. We're not victim blaming. No, no. Just like. But just. (sighs) Stay safe if you can. Stay safe. Stay as safe as you can. Yes. Because they're motherfuckers everywhere. Yeah. While it was a bitterly cold Wisconsin winter morning, Terry was only wearing a light jacket and some jogging pants. She wasn't going to be outside. She was only going to be gone for like 15, 20 minutes max before returning home. So she drove to her ex's home in Wind Lake, Wisconsin, north of Racine. When Terry arrived, David said that Amanda and Holly weren't ready. Then an uncharacteristically calm David said the girls, who were four and six at this point, were playing hide and seek and wanted Terry to find them. Terry had not been inside that house in five years. David hadn't allowed her in his home since the day she got her belongings after leaving him. Wow, shit. Okay. And her gut told her oh, no. not to go inside. Trust your gut, girl. But also her kids are in there. Yes. Oh, that's such a dilemma. Dilemma. Ugh. But whatever. She was in a hurry. It was 17 fucking degrees out. She's like, I'll find him real quick. I'll just grab him. We'll get out of exactly. here. Exactly. Yeah. She, oh. she didn't want to disappoint the girl. She figured she'd walk in and be like, peekaboo, I found you. Let's yeah, fucking yeah. go. Mm, no. And they'd be on their way. So she went inside the house. Oh. And Terry went looking around for the girls, and she was knocked out. <sighs> David had hit her in the back of the head with a Louisville slugger. <gasps> Holy fuck, dude! Mm-hmm. When she came to, she was on her stomach, and the first thing she saw was a black Louisville slugger baseball bat, and David was holding it above her head. <gasps> At that moment, she knew that after years of abuse and leaving him and divorcing him, that he was finally going to kill her. He told her, quote, You're not taking the girls away from you. You always said that I abused you. Now you can see what abuse really is. <gasps> End quote. All the while, he's telling Terry to shut up and not make any noise because he didn't want the girls to hear. Amanda and Holly were locked in the bedroom playing, completely unaware that their father was beating the fuck out of their mother with a baseball bat oh in the next room. Oh my god, no. And... Terry just went into survival mode. She told him whatever she thought he wanted to hear, that she wouldn't take him to court anymore. And he would just say that it was bullshit and he kept hitting her. He beat the ever-living shit out of her, hitting her in the head at least 10 (gasps) times. Holy fuck, with a baseball bat, dude? 
a Louisville slugger noise. Oh my god, oh my god, okay. And Terry laid on the floor, basically lifeless. She had been beaten so badly she couldn't move. He covered her mouth with a rag and told her to stop breathing. He duct taped her wrists and her ankles, but the way he like held up her legs to duct tape them and the angle that he had held up her legs, her sweatpants started slipping off. And he told her, quote, don't make this look like something it's not, end quote, because beating Uh... someone with a baseball bat and tying them up with duct tape, that's totally legit. And that's on the up and up. But I resent the implication (laughs) that I'm going to rape you, madam. I am a gentleman. Yeah, what? And a man of honor. Oh my god, this dude is so fucking psycho. Go fuck yourself. Seriously. That's what he's worried about. Yeah. That she's going to think that he's going to rape her. Oh my god. After beating the fuck out of her. And that's not just the head. She beat the total fuck out of her. I'm sure. And ten times Uh, on the head. Oh my god. But how dare you imply that I'm going to rape you. So her pants, shoes, and socks come off. And he leaves them off. Then he duct tapes her entire head (gasps) that she looks like a mummy. So her forehead, her eyes, her nose, her mouth, her neck, all of it has been duct taped shut. And at that moment, Harry's talking to God and she's saying, please don't let this be it. This can't be it. I can't suffer on the floor in this home when I don't even know where my girls are or if he did anything to them. But Terry said to herself, quote, I can't give up. I have to help my girls. End quote. Chills. Full body chills. Good for fucking you, Terry. Terry. Girl. Terry. That's like the that mother's the strength. The mama bear. You. Yeah, that's like you can fucking lift a car or some yeah. shit. Yeah. Terry has it. I know. Thank fuck right now. She decided to breathe shallowly and pretend that she was dead, hoping that he would leave her alone. And luckily the duct tape was put on in a way that there was a little gap and she was getting some air. <gasps> okay, okay, okay. So she's completely, essentially blindfolded with duct tape. She can't see anything. Oh my God. And she's just going off of what she's hearing. Oh, that's so terrifying. (laughs) She's also been fucking hit in the head 10 times. Yes. Oh, I don't even, the fact that she's even thinking rationally enough to be like, I'm going to breathe shallowly. Like, I'm going to just like stay calm. Oh my God. And she, she even says that later on that she's like, I, that she was shocked of like, how am I still conscious? Yeah. How am I still thinking? How do I still have my wits about me? Like, how is this happening? Oh, fuck. So she hears some scooting around and David had gotten a large, empty Rubbermaid garbage bin <gasps> and starts putting Terry headfirst <gasps> in, into it. No, 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 no. And Terry musters all the strength that she has to turn around because she knows if she goes into that bin headfirst, she's completely fucked. And again, like I just said, she's completely surprised that she's even able to put that together. Yeah. After everything she's been through. Oh my God. So she's like, don't fucking go into the garbage can first. And she somehow manages to twist her body that David jams the bound, bleeding, and barely clothed Terry into the large garbage bin feet first. And he drags it outside. And again, even though she can't see anything, Terry knows she's outside because she heard the door open and she felt cold. Mind you, she's not wearing any fucking pants or socks or shoes And it's 17 degrees out because it's fucking Wisconsin in fucking January. Jesus. All she has on is her underwear and a light jacket. (sighs) So he takes the bin outside and he puts the bin on its side and starts turning it around in circles. And she's like, what the fuck is he doing? And initially she thought that he was trying to disorient her. But then she realized he was filling up the can with snow. (gasps) What? 
He then loaded up the garbage bin filled with snow and his half-naked ex-wife, whom he had repeatedly beaten with a baseball bat, in the back of his truck and covered it up with a tarp and went back inside. And because Terry's a total boss, she remembers that she has her cell phone in her coat pocket. <gasps> Ugh, and while, fuck. Yeah, totally. Oh my god. And while her hands are bound, they were tied in front of her body, not behind her back. She managed to reach into her pocket and grab her phone. And because this is 2004, these cell phones had raised buttons with the T9 texting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even though she can't see, she's able to feel the different buttons and call 911. She knew that her entire face was duct taped. Yeah, fuck. How would you even do that on a, like, touchscreen phone? It would be so difficult. Yeah. No, you wouldn't be able yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. You would be I, fucked. Yeah. You would be fucked. Yeah. This is why I have problems with technology and it gives me a lot of anxiety Crazy. because it's like, it's here to help you. Is it though? <laughs> not in this situation. No, it's not. Yeah. At least not, not an iPhone in this situation. So she knew her entire face was duct taped and that the operator wasn't going to be able to hear her, but she kept yelling David's address as loud as she could. And by a fucking miracle of God, the 911 operator understands the address. <gasps> And the operator asks, are you having trouble breathing? And she says, uh-huh. Again, her entire fucking face, like a mummy, is, is duct taped oh. shut. Holy fuck, dude. While all of this is happening, David grabs the girls from inside the house and tells them that their mother didn't show up because she doesn't care about them and oh. puts them in the truck and drives. Fucking piece of shit. I can't fucking stand this guy. <sighs> a few minutes later... Terry heard the sirens of emergency vehicles coming, but David was already driving away as the vehicles were arriving at the house, so they basically just passed each other. Oh my god! So, some deputies arrive at the house on a basic rescue call from a woman in distress. When they arrive, the home is locked and no one is answering the door, and they can't see anyone through the windows. And the deputies are concerned that the person who made the call may not be capable of unlocking the doors for the authorities. So they van down that fucking door and kick it down looking for a human being and they can't find anyone. So they start interviewing neighbors and put together very quickly that this is not a typical rescue call. This is the home of David Larson. Earlier that morning, his ex-wife arrived to pick up their children and shortly thereafter, neighbors saw David towing away Terry's car. The deputies realize that they have something much larger than a distress call happening here. Yeah, fuck, dude. Three hours after Terry and the girls were supposed to be back, Nick called the police. When he gave dispatchers David's address, they recognized it as the deputies had already been there that morning. Ah. Uh, but the house was empty. So this whole time... She's in the fucking trash can. She's in the trash can, in, in the truck, and the truck is driving. He's driving her to <gasps> who knows where the fuck. Horrifying. Terry. This whole time, Terry is blacking in and out. Yeah, fuck, dude. Because she was hit fucking ten times in the head with a baseball bat. Yeah, probably has a fucking huge concussion. Right. She said, quote, I thought that I was never going to be found, and if I was going to get out, I had to get myself out of there. What kept me alive was my daughters and knowing that I had to fight to stay here to save them from whatever was going to transpire next. To save them the hurt and the trauma of losing their mom at such a young age. That's the fire that kept me going, end quote. Terry then calls Nick and tells him what the fuck happened and that David is trying to kill her and she doesn't know where she is. And Nick does what I can only imagine is the hardest possible thing to do at this moment. And he tells her to hang up <gasps> and to call 911 again. 
gave me full body chills again. Like, like I can't even imagine can that. Can you, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Because the thing is, he's like, I can't help you. Yeah. The people who can, it's like, but you also don't know if you're ever, ever going to be talk able to, to that talk person to her again. again. Yeah. Oh. And she's like, P.S. He's trying to kill me. And you're like, cool. Like, hang out. Like, that's not how we did it. No, no, no. But can, you should call 911. Like, I'm I not mean, qualified for this. No. But yeah. But it's like they can look up his license plate. They can exactly. fucking put out an APB. Like they can do all of the shit that he obviously can't do. So yeah, and you could. And there's the towers and, and can, the pinging and all of that. And if he hangs up with her, he can obviously also call the police and be like, "Hey, you need to be fucking looking for this guy. Right. He has my fucking girlfriend, wife, whatever wife, she is, yeah. wife at this point in the fucking back of his truck." So she does, and the Milwaukee dispatch picks up, which is half an hour away from David's home, and Terry tells them the whole shit. She tells the operator that her ex-husband is trying to kill her and that she's in the back of his green 4x4 Dodge Ram. And the operator is acting like this is a prank call. Bitch, I need help. Are you for fucking real? Yeah. Oh my um, God. Guys. Even if it's not, like, fucking take it seriously. It's your job. It's your literal job. Yeah. You can fucking whatever, punish them afterwards for it being a false alarm. Yeah. You literally get fines if you call 911 on a LARP. Um, get ready because you're about to get fucking enraged right now. Oh God, I'm already enraged. Okay. She keeps asking Terry her name and Terry keeps saying it and she's frustrated as fuck. Fucking obviously. Her face is still fucking completely duct taped and she's having difficulty breathing. And again, she's been beaten within a fucking inch of her life. And Terry tells the operator that she's been tied up and the operator says, quote, how are you holding a phone if your hands are masking tape together? They're in front of me. I have it in my fucking hands. What do you mean? Like, can you help me or not? Go fuck yourself. It's not fucking 21 questions. Like, bitch, send the fucking ambulance to find me or send a fucking cop to find me. Like, what the fuck? And here's the thing. Oh my like, God. And Terry is like blacking in and out yeah. at this point. Like, because she's fucking been severely beaten. She's probably not, running purely on adrenaline at this point. And not only that, she's half naked in a garbage bin filled with, with snow. snow. And it's 17 fucking degrees out. Like she's probably fucking going into hypothermia right now. And so she's blacking out. Oh my God. And then this fucking cunt says, quote, hello, do you want to talk to me or do you want to deep breathe? End quote. Fuck you. Please tell me this woman got fired or whoever the fuck this was got fired. I don't know, but she fucking better have. Oh my God. Oh my God. You're right. I'm enraged. I'm so fucking, ugh. It's literally your fucking job. Yeah. Ugh. Flames on the side of my face. I oh can't. my god. I can't. So the detectives return to David's home. This time, Detective Christopher Schmeling is among them, and they're hoping to find Holly or Amanda there. But what they found made the missing person's case even more urgent. Detective Schmeling quickly notices a very large red stain in the carpet in the dining area, and that he notices in a nearby garbage can that there was a pant leg hanging out of it. When he pulled it out, he saw that they were black jogging pants that matched Nick's description of what Terry had been wearing that day, and that the pants had been duct tape tied around the ankle area, and that the duct tape was like bunched together, like there was a struggle to get it off. Schmeling also noticed what appeared to be blood on the duct tape. They also found an empty handgun case. Oh no. Police are now operating under the assumption that Terry had been badly assaulted and that David is armed. Terry was nowhere to be found. The girls were nowhere to be found. There were signs of a struggle and blood in the house, and Schmeling is afraid that he's dealing with a triple homicide. 
so a statewide Amber Alert is issued for the missing girls and their mother in Wisconsin and Illinois. Trash 911 operator aside, the police department completely mobilizes with nearly 100 law enforcement officers following leads on the case. Volunteers who had never even met Terry spent the afternoon driving around unfinished neighborhoods, searching in basements of incomplete houses for any sign of her. Detectives sit down with Jan, who was Terry's friend who took her to the woman's shelter, yeah. and they interview her and they ask her where they think that David could have gone. And she tells them that he works at an airport in Illinois and that he has some rental property in Milwaukee, so that's where she would look. Okay, we're back at the truck. Terry comes to after passing out while talking to the world's shittiest 911 operator. <laughs> so fucking pissed at this fucking person. Like, I can't. The only 911 operator that's probably worse is the one in the Susan Cox Powell case, which I am not going to get into because it is so horrifying. And if you know, you know. And if you don't, you're living a better life <laughs> for it. Enjoy not knowing. Yeah. So Terry comes to and she hears that the tarp covering on top of the garbage bin is flapping in the wind. And she thinks to herself, again, she like, she's so is yeah, on top of it. For like yes. something who's literally been fucking hit in the head 10 <sighs> times by a baseball bat. I can't oh get over it. And she thinks, okay, if I can get my arm out and start waving, the cars passing by will see, and then he's going to get stopped. <gasps> so smart. Fucking, fucking do it, Terry. Terry. Ugh. So she, you know, scratches off a little bit of the duct tape off with her nail and she gets a corner free and she sticks her arm out as far as she can and she starts waving frantically. And David sees her arm. Oh no, shit! Through the rear view mirror. Fuck! So he pulls over the car, (gasps) gets out his bat, and hits Terry. And he tells her, quote, one more stunt like that and I'll get out my 38. (gasps) End quote. So she thinks to herself, okay, you know what? I'm still alive. So I better stop because if not, he's just going to shoot me. And it's gonna yeah, you have over. no chance. Exactly. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to play <sighs> play ball. David eventually stops at a public storage facility in Wheeling, Illinois, about 40 miles south of Racine. He dragged the garbage bin off the truck and Terry could hear her daughters laughing in the background. So she knew that not only did he have their daughters, but that they were alive. At some point during this move, her phone rings and oh. David hears it. So he takes it. And again, Terry's just on top of it. She's trying to figure out where she is. Initially, she thinks that he brought her to like a a hangar because he worked at the airport. But then she hears all these like boxes and crates being scooted around the floor. David had taken her to his storage unit. She didn't make any noise because she wanted him to believe that she was dead. And when Terry heard that the door to the unit was closed, she knew that he was gone and that she could scream for help. But again... She didn't want to do it too fast because she didn't want him to hear. Yeah. So she waited a long time expecting him to have left. And she called out his name a couple times because she figured like if she said his name it's and he was there, he wouldn't get as pissed as if she's she, like, help, help, help. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. When she didn't hear anything, she started screaming for help. And Terry's doing everything she can to get the lid off of the garbage can. But what she didn't know was that he had duct taped the lid shut and put boxes on top of the can and a two-by-four running across it. Fuck, dude. She was doing everything she could to get that lid off, but she was badly injured, and she's freezing cold. 
The Amber Alert returned nothing, and while they were still canvassing different houses looking for Terry and the girls, the cops got a call from the Wheeling, Illinois Police Department that they had located David pulling into the parking lot of the airport in Wheeling, Illinois, where he works as an air traffic controller. Terry and the kids were not with him, and Schmeling got dispatched to talk to him. And David just walks into the room, arrogant as fuck. Like, he knows that there's a reasonable explanation as to why, you know, they fucking stopped him. And they're asking him, you know. The audacity, the audacity of this motherfucker is out of control. <sighs> I can't even. Okay. So that's the, that's the vibe. He's like, like, what do you want yeah. from me? And they tell him that his ex-wife and his daughters are missing. And the cops ask him when was the last time he saw his ex-wife. And he goes on saying that, well, she was supposed to pick up the girls at 11 a.m., but she never showed up. And she always does this. And, you know, all of the trouble. I've been dealing with this for years. And he's just like a fucking trash monster piece of shit. And he just goes on this fucking tirade of how terrible Terry is. And he wants to know why he's being called in by the cops. So they ask him about his girls and he said that he dropped off the kids at his girlfriend's place to babysit them and that he went to work and the next thing he knew he's being stopped by law enforcement and he wanted to know why. Okay. Fuck you. Yeah. He gave Lies. the authorities the girlfriend's phone number and her address. They checked the location and were super relieved to find the children there and unharmed. And they talked to both of the girls and both of them said that they hadn't seen their mom that day. Terry's still missing. So they bring him in for questioning and they ask him, when was the last time that Terry was in your house? He says, quote, we have an unwritten rule. She never comes into my house. I never go into her house and we never break that rule. End quote. Shmaley informs this sack of shit that they went to his house and they found a pool of blood there. Yeah. And they're like, did you like cut yourself or did you get into yeah. an altercation with someone? And he's like, no, you know, whatever. He makes some, like, bullshit, wishy-washy like, thing. Dude, we found the fucking sweatpants. Yeah. We duct tape on them. Like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, Seriously. so when they're like, hey, P.S., BT Dubs, we also found women's sweatpants there that had duct tape on them and had blood on the duct tape. What a quinky dink. Right? Imagine that. Huh. Huh. And Schmeling says that David looks down, and for the first time, the detective notices that there's blood on David's jeans. <gasps> oh, my God. What? So the detective literally, as he's talking to the fucking cops, he's covering yeah. her blood, and, he, oh and they talk God. about how like he just kind of started like wiping his pants, <gasps> like almost like wipe it the away, blood off, like what? Ugh. So Schmeling says to him, "quote And in fact, you've got Terry's blood on your pants." End quote. Yeah. So with all of the audacity in the world, this bitch says that he was putting the girls' homework away. In their backpack. What you guys aren't ready for this? I was like, please, you're please not. Please tell me what this motherfucker decided to fucking come up with. Oh God. Okay. My face is saying it all. That's what Amy's reacting yes. to. Ugh. When Terry came up behind him with a hammer in her hand and her pants around her ankles. Yeah, because I always attack people with my pants around my ankles. I mean, that does make you more limber to yeah. not. Be able to move. And agile. That's, yeah, super helpful. Right? Right? Oh, my God. And that he, that she. Lie better. Like, what lie you better? Stupidest fucking, fucking story? Oh, oh, my God. Okay. And that she was the one who's going to attack him. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And out of fear of being assaulted, which. Isn't he a Marine? Yes. I'm sorry, you have a fear of being assaulted by a woman who I'm sure, like. Who has her pants around her legs. Yeah. 
get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and I'm sure you probably outweigh by 100 pounds at least. Like, yeah. Are you for fucking real right now? Ugh. But he's afraid. Hard eye roll. That she's going to assault him. Oh my which, god. Go fuck yourself. So he grabs a baseball bat that just also happens to just be in the dining room. Again. Who doesn't keep that there? What a quinky dink. Yeah. Quinky dink. It's great. And out of fear for his own safety, he swung the bat and struck Terry in the head. She fell down. He remembers grabbing the duct tape, but he doesn't remember why. What? Yeah. So that, like, he... This story is fucking so... Yeah. Dude. So he'll be like... She showed up. She doesn't have pants She tried on. to attack me. Even though I physically outweigh her and I'm stronger than her, I, like... I smashed her in the head with a baseball yeah, bat. Yeah, I didn't call the cops. I just tied her up after that? Well, he doesn't even say that. He says... Oh, he doesn't know what happened. No, he grabbed the duct tape and he doesn't remember why he did it or what oh, happened after that. the old fugue state, right? Mm. How convenient for him. Yeah, and this is four and a half hours of this where the detectives are trying to get where Terry is out of him and he just keeps saying like I can't remember I just remember grabbing the duct tape and I don't know why what the fuck dude and Schmeling just isn't fucking having it he's calling major bullshit he's like good for him yeah you remember what you had for breakfast you told me about the phone calls you made you told me that she wasn't there at 11 a.m which by the fucking way the squad cars were at your fucking house at 11 a.m responding to the 911 call that fucking terry made on you yeah and dickless so in the rest of this i've changed the name david to dickless oh because i'm enraged i love it dickless looks surprised and he's like yeah that's right terry called 911 she told us what happened it's cold and you've injured her she's bleeding she's the mother of your children if she's alive you need to tell us where she is you owe it to your children to try to help her. Yes! This guy. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. Schmeling. We're For obsessed. fucking win. Yes. Get this fucking dickless fucking motherfucker yeah. to confess. This is fucking fucking bullshit. So I'm dickless, enraged. Yes. Enraged. Yes. So dickless says he's tired and he wants to take a nap. And but you don't have time for naps. Your fucking wife is missing. Are you fucking serious? But here's the thing. Ex-wife. Whatever. Yeah. But the thing is, because of the legalities of an interrogation... If you're interrogating someone and they ask for a break, <gasps> you have to give it to them. Noted. That's going in the back pocket in case I ever get interrogated. <laughs> I got interrogated. I'm like, I need a nap <laughs> right really now. I'm sleepy. I don't want to do this. What's your name? I need a nap. <laughs> I'm really tired. You guys. Also, don't talk to anybody without a lawyer. Just. Yes. If a cop is like, I'm sorry, which way is 42nd? I need my attorney present for this. <laughs> Thank you. I plead the fifth. Cops are great, though. There's ones that are bad, yeah. there's ones that are great. Schmeling is nailing it. Schmeling is nailing yeah. it. Yeah. We like him. Yes. He's good people. Absolutely. Detective Schmeling told ABC, quote, he's holding a human being's life in the balance and there's nothing we can do. It angered me. I just wanted to reach in him and pull out this information. Yes. Schmeling. Schmeling. Schmeling is nailing. <laughs> I love that. Schmeling is nailing. But they had enough evidence to detain him. Good. In doing so, detectives confiscated what personal belongings David, I'm sorry, Dickless, had on him, <laughs> including his wallet. It's 4 a.m. Schmeling drops off the evidence with his supervisor who says to go home, to go to bed. The third shift is still out looking for Terry and that they were going to reconvene at 7 a.m. to strategize what they were going to do. 
So Schmeling goes home and his wife says, quote, I know what you're working on. Did you guys find her? Because this is all over the news. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is everything. Fuck. And he said no. And she responded, quote, then what are you doing here? <gasps> End quote. That gave me chills. You bad bitch. I bad love it. Bad bitch, boss. Damn. Yes. She was like, you think you're going to fucking sleep? Get out there and find this woman. You don't come home until you find her. Guess the fuck what? She was right. He couldn't sleep, so he took a quick shower and went back to work and went through the evidence to see if there was something he missed. Bouncing off ideas with other law enforcement officers. And during all of this, Terry is trapped in a garbage bin in a storage unit. It's pitch dark. She doesn't know if it's day or night. Her eyes are starting to swell. She was starting to get some of the tape off of her face, but it hurt to get that off. Yeah. Also, it's like, it's one, it's like glue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She also has the blood from her head injury, like caked (gasps) on. There's hair. There's, you know, so many fucking things. It's out of control. And if like your head's already like really Really tender and sensitive, like to pull the tape off of it, like, ugh. You know, but it hurt to get it off, so she couldn't get all of it off. She managed to pry the lid of the garbage open like a little bit to get some air, but the air that was let in was brutally cold. Oh, yeah. Overnight temperatures were barely above zero, and she was barely clothed. Jesus. She's screaming and bleeding and freezing and praying to God that someone will find her. She would black out and come to and think, quote, oh my God, I'm still alive. I can't fall asleep. I have to keep yelling. I have to keep trying to get out, end quote. She said those hours were worse than being beat over the head with the baseball bat. Wow. I'm sure. Jesus. So we're back at the Wheeling Police Department. Okay. They're going through his wallet. Okay. And the next morning, the police catch a break. While checking Dickless's personal belongings, they find a business card for a public storage facility just a mile from the airport where he worked. Yay! I'm not clapping, but I'm almost clapping. I'm yes. Okay. <laughs> Why would a guy from Wind Lake, Wisconsin, have a storage unit in Wheeling, Illinois? Yeah. Schmeling goes back to interrogate Dickless, who is sticking to the same BS story, and that she tried to assault him, grabbing the duct tape, not knowing why, blah, 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 who gives a fuck? While he's doing all of this, Detective Keith Dobish calls up the public storage in Wheeling and asks if David Larson had a unit there. He did. Dobish then asks to look up David's code to see if he had been to the facility the day before. Yes, he had. (gasps) Oh my God. To enter these storage uh, facilities, you have a code and you have to press the code to get in and press the code to get out. So they look up the the timestamps of when he pressed it. (gasps) Okay. And there's a 20 minute period. Yeah. Where he went in and then he left. And Detective Dobish is like, okay, this has to be fucking it. Why would he have gone there? So he asked the person that he's talking to at the storage unit to put him on hold to go to Dickless's unit and tell him if he can see or hear anything. And I'm just thinking of this like person's making like seven fifty an hour. Yeah, right? they're, like, they're like, I don't want to fucking do this. Dude. It's fuck. fucking zero degrees outside. Like, I just want to be yeah. in the little office and whatever. Yeah. And like, and if you've ever been to a storage unit, they're not heated. It's concrete and it's yeah. metal. And it's zero degrees, essentially. Yeah. And Terry's half naked. In a fucking trash can full of snow. Full of snow. So this poor minimum wage employee goes to do this and he hears someone crying for help from the unit. And he runs back and he tells the detective that's on hold this information and he tells the guy at the storage unit to hang up and to call 911 immediately because they're in a different state. Yeah, fuck. 
Back at the Wheeling Police Department, Detective Schmeling is in the middle of interrogating Dickless when someone pounds on the door and he's fucking pissed. He's like, I'm in the fucking middle of this. Like, you're breaking up the flow. You're breaking up the energy. What the fuck? And it's a sergeant from Wheeling saying that they're getting a 911 call that there are screams coming from a storage unit. (gasps) Oh my God. Okay. The morning of February 1st, 2004, patrol officer Richard Hurtis Jr. was working with the Wheeling, Illinois Police Department when they got a call that something was going on at the public storage facility. And he said when he got the call, he knew that it was going to be Terry in that storage unit because that news was everywhere. They get to the unit and they start calling out to Terry, saying it's the police and they're going to get her out of there. And they hear her cries for help. And, you know, they have the person like open, you know, unlock the door. It's it's not an unlock. It's they have to basically drill the lock Oh, okay, open. shit, yeah. I had to do that at work once. That was a process. Oh, no. And while it took seconds for the door to open, Curtis said that it felt like forever. They walk into the storage unit, and they don't see anybody. And they don't hear anything. So he thinks he's in the wrong unit. (gasps) Terry's not making any noise because she thinks it's David, who's back. And if she sees that he's in dead, he's going to shoot her. And the cops keep calling out for her and nothing. That's when the sergeant notices the garbage can in the corner and says, she's in there. They remove the boxes and the plastic containers on top of the garbage can. The sergeant opened the lid, and when they looked in, there she was. <gasps> Full body chills. I mean, it's a chill period. Oh, this is crazy. my God. Ugh. Herdis said, quote, I had seen photographs of her before, and the condition she was in inside of that garbage can, you couldn't tell who she was, other than having long hair and having a soft-spoken female voice, you couldn't even tell if it was a male or female initially. Wow. You just saw this person, swollen face, swollen eyes completely shut, severely beaten, blood. You couldn't tell who she was. End quote. So they find her, and the first thing she says to the patrol officer as she's being pulled out of the garbage can was, are my kids okay? (gasps) Mama Bear! Mama Bear! That's all that matters. Oh, and she's he, such a good mom. She's okay. such a good mom. And and he was like, your kids are fine. Ugh. And the paramedics showed up and loaded Terry onto the backboard. And that's when Officer Herta saw her entire body. She wasn't just beaten in the head. She had been beaten head to fucking toe on her entire body with a fucking baseball bat. And even though they found her... Officer Hurtis was concerned about whether or not Terry was going to be okay and whether or not she was going to make it out of this because this is still yeah. just one more step. She's not like, great, we're in the clear. Yeah. Let's, let's have ice cream. my kids. Yeah. yeah. And right next to the door of the unit, the officer saw a two-toned baseball bat that he knew is what was used to beat Terry. Oh my God. Okay. He said, quote, it's something that you never forget. Something that will stay in your mind for the rest of your life. That's for sure. End quote. When all was said and done, Terry's harrowing ordeal lasted 26 hours. <gasps> wow. Holy fuck, man. Yeah. So mid-interrogation, Schmeling received word that Terry had been found in a storage unit and that she was alive. And he booked it over there. And when he arrived, he saw Terry being wheeled out to the ambulance on a gurney. And Terry's feet were sticking out from under the sheet. And he saw that she was wearing black socks and he's confused because he saw the black socks in the house, you know, when, when David had like ripped the pants off. Yeah. Her. And then he realizes 
She's not <gasps> wearing socks. Those are her feet. She has frostbite. Mm-hmm. Oh no, mm-hmm. Monique. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh my god. I mean, I was wondering, like, you can't go 26 hours in a fucking yeah. bin full of ice and not get fucking frostbite. Mm-hmm. <gasps> her feet are black. <sighs> so Schmeling goes back to the Wheeling Police Department and tells Dickless, quote, You can relax, Dave. We found her. Best part? She's alive. I love this guy. So Mm. she can testify. Yeah. End quote. Schmeling is nailing. He's like, go fuck yourself. Terry was alive, but by no means out of the woods. The surgeon who treated Terry said, quote, her eyes were swollen shut. She had black and blue all over her face. She just wasn't recognizable as a human being. End quote. She had very low blood pressure, a very low heart rate, a very low respiratory rate. Her body temperature had dropped to a life-threatening 84 degrees. <gasps> Hypothermia sets in when the core body temperature drops below 95 degrees. Damn. So she's 11 degrees less than <gasps> that for those mathing. Crazy. She was an hour away from death, they said. What? Her legs from the knees down and her arms were absolutely frostbit. Her toes were frostbit so badly, they all had to be amputated. <gasps> oh no. Okay. I expected that, but still. Ugh. I mean, yeah. Yeah. If that wasn't awful enough, doctors gave her the heartbreaking news that she had miscarried. <gasps> because the night before she found all of this out, she found out she was pregnant. That's right. There's so I much that happened that kind of forgot that. Oh no, that's really sad. Yeah, Terry spent almost seven weeks in the hospital, undergoing ten different operations, and throughout all of this. She was in amazing spirits. She recalled waking up in the hospital and a nurse telling her that for one of the procedures, they had to cut her hair. And if that was okay. And Terry was basically like, who gives a fuck about my hair? Yeah, seriously. Terry said, quote, I just relaxed and went to sleep for a while after that because I knew that I was going to be okay. I heard somebody else say, and David Larson's in jail. (gasps) And at that moment, the condition of my feet didn't matter. The condition of my body didn't matter. Getting my hair cut didn't matter. Nothing mattered but those three things. He was in jail. I was alive. My girls were safe with my sisters. That's it. That's all that mattered. End quote. Terry! Terry! I'm like, I can't control myself right now. No, I'm like I mean, so fucking pumped. Amy's raising the uh, roof for Terry. I'm so pumped. Five weeks into her hospital stay and with her ex-husband in a Milwaukee jail... Terry was finally awarded sole custody of her girls. Damn straight. Fucking finally. Fucking finally. And while Terry still suffers from physical and emotional impact of that day, she has PTSD, which includes symptoms of hypervigilance, where she panics if she doesn't see her children at all times, which I get it. Fuck. She can't run anymore. She also has a hard time carrying laundry up the stairs or walking on uneven surfaces like sand or snow. But again, she just has this amazing attitude through everything. She said, quote, I don't even feel like I walk with a limp. I walk and I get places, and that's what's important. End quote. Fuck yes! Like, Terry. Terry! Like, a role model to fucking aspire to. Shit. My god. So, Dickless tries to pull the amnesia bit in court. because bullshit. The audacity is strong with this one. Yeah. But the judge isn't buying it. Good. And in August of 2005, 
Larson was found guilty of attempted first-degree intentional homicide and two counts of obstructing child custody and was sentenced to 35 years in prison and 20 years of extended supervision. The judge also ordered that upon probation, he must donate $1,000 each year on the anniversary of his divorce to a Racine County group that helps battered women. I like that. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. me too. And here's the thing. If you're like, what the fuck? That sentence is light as fuck. Never you worry, baby. (gasps) Dickless crossed state lines. Yay! Making this a federal crime. Oh shit, that's right! That's fucking right. So in August of 2008, David Larson was convicted of kidnapping and interstate domestic violence and sentenced to life in prison. Hell yes. Fuck yes. Terry sued her sack of shit ex in civil court, and nearly four and a half years after Terry Jendusa Nikolai's ex sealed her inside of a garbage can and left her for dead, a judge awarded her more than $3 million in a civil case against her ex-husband. The judge included $1 million for past and future pain and suffering, $500,000 for emotional distress, $1.5 million in punitive damages, and $379,699.92 for past and future medical costs. The judge also awarded her current husband, Nick Nikolai, $200,000 and Terry's two children, $50,000 each. While Terry knows that she will never see most of this money, she said that it sends a message. She said, quote, other people need to see. This is what's going to happen to you if you ever dream of doing something like this to another human being, end quote. Her attorney, Patrick Dumphy, said Larson has $186,000 in his bank account, which is managed under court guidance, and any money that Terry receives will be in addition to the child support money that her two children with Dickless will receive. Dickless's attorney, Mark Nielsen, appealed the life sentence, claiming it was unreasonable. He claimed that his client snapped under pressure uh, of, of his tumultuous relationship with his ex-wife and that his actions were an anomaly, which... No! This fucking bitch! There were so many fucking red flags. What are you fucking talking about? He literally punched her in the back of the head on their honeymoon. Yes! Oh my god. All right. He said, quote, David Larson is entitled to be sentenced as a human being who had a terrible vulnerability, a blind spot. He never substantially misbehaved himself before that day, end quote. Flames on the side of my face. I don't care if he didn't do anything before this. He did this, which was fucking awful, and you should never do to another human being again, let alone the mother of your fucking children. So I don't give a shit what the fucking precedent is. You fucking deserve whatever the fuck you got for that. 10,000 fucking percent. This is going to get super rich, and there's going to be a callback that you didn't even know that you said. Oh, fuck. Hell yeah. (laughs) Oh, shit. That's my favorite, Monique. Yes, girl. He also alleged that the criminal statute used to prosecute his client was unconstitutional as he was subjected to double jeopardy because he was prosecuted in both state and federal courts. But Homeboy clearly had not seen the 1999 thriller Double Jeopardy starring Ashley Judd and Tommy Lee Jones because that he would know what the fuck Double Jeopardy actually is. Yeah. Turns out the federal appeals court clearly had seen Double Jeopardy or, you know, at least knew the fucking law and upheld the life in prison term stating, one, life in prison was an appropriate sentence saying, quote, 
The sentence is substantively reasonable given the cold-blooded brutality of Larson's crime and the extreme pain and anguish he inflicted on Jandusa Nikolai primarily and on her family, secondary victims, end quote. And two, double jeopardy was not an issue because the federal charges were different from the state charges. He was convicted of first-degree intentional homicide and two counts of obstructing child custody in the state and convicted of kidnapping and interstate domestic violence in the federal courts. Different charges, different courts, you dumb bitch. (laughs) Facts. Facts. Yeah. So things weren't looking great for Dickless after the Federal Court of Appeals denied to overturn his life sentence. Be good. That's okay with that. Go so, fuck yourself. Yeah. So in 2010, he got desperate and tried to escape from prison. No. So they moved him to Supermax. Oh my God. So he's just fucking nailing it. Jesus. All right. A few years after the abduction, Terry and Nick welcomed a son, a sweet little brother Aww. to the teenagers, to then teenagers, Holly and Amanda. When asked how she found the strength to live on the bitterly cold night she was left to die, Terry quoted Nancy Reagan saying, quote, A woman is like a tea bag. Only in hot water do you realize how strong she is. End quote. Chills. I love that. In the 17 years since this harrowing event, Terry has become an advocate against domestic abuse. She devotes a lot of her time to speaking on college campuses and to women's groups about domestic abuse. She has worked with Racine County officials to get more resources for domestic abuse victims and improve the victim notification system to keep victims aware of their attacker's location and laws to better protect victims of domestic violence. Terry is using her partnership with law enforcement as a model to help other advocates nationwide to try to stem the rising tide of domestic abuse. Terry has been instrumental in helping to draft laws that protect domestic violence victims, like Wisconsin's SAFE Act, which takes guns out of the hands of abusers. David had threatened Terry with the same gun that he was supposed to have turned over as part of the restraining order against him. The 2014 law gives more authority to sheriff's deputies who previously couldn't take an abuser's firearms away without a warrant. Okay. She became the state chairman for Marcy's Law in Wisconsin, named for Marcy Nicholas of California, who was stalked and killed by her ex-boyfriend in 1983. A week after her death, Marcy's parents were in a grocery store and were confronted by the accused murderer. <gasps> no. Who had been released on bail. Ugh. And her, Marcy's brother had made it his life's work to provide victims and their families with constitutional protections. Marcy's law would update Wisconsin's 1993 Victims' Rights Constitutional Amendment by giving victims new rights and strengthening existing ones. And in April of 2020, Marcy's Law for Wisconsin passed the legislature with broad bipartisan support and was approved by an overwhelming majority of Wisconsin voters. Nick and Terry are still happily married. And I will leave you with this last thing that Terry said. Quote, Life is a gift. And life is a gift that I think we take for granted on a daily basis. We don't really have the thankfulness and that gratefulness in our hearts that we should. We need to step back and say, you know, I'm grateful just to have this day. I'm grateful to have my children. I'm grateful to have my family and my friends and treat them as such. And then she gets emotional at this next part. She says, because it can all be gone in an instant. I should have died after I was beaten in the head with a baseball bat. 
I should have died just for the pure fact that my body was absolutely frozen and my kidneys were shutting down. I should have died from loss of blood. There's so many reasons why I shouldn't be here. But I feel like there's some reason why I was spared, and that is exactly why I do the work I do today. I feel like I'm supposed to get out there and warn people about bad relationships, and if I can spare one person from being killed and one family from going through that pain, it's worth it. End quote. Ugh, that's so inspirational. That's so beautiful. And that is Ugh. the story of Terry Jendusa. Nikolai. Terry. Terry. Such a badass. That was such fucking a badass. crazy. I gave myself, I like teary-eyed at that last Yeah. Bit. I like gave myself all of the chills reading all of oh that. Oh my God. You gave me multiple chills too. Ugh. Holy fucking shit, dude. Yeah. I have a feeling that weirdly him taping her head helped with yes. the blood. Yes. So she and didn't lose everything as much together. blood as yeah. she could have. Because fucking head wounds bleed like crazy. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I didn't even think of that. As soon as you said like she, when you were like, she should have died from the blood loss. Like I was like, oh my God. And probably the reason she didn't was the fucking duct tape, which was also yeah. like awful because she couldn't breathe. Right. And that was a problem too. But like also yeah, could have been like one of the things that saved her. And I remember reading a thing where she was saying that it was funny to her that this man who tried to enter her life effectively lost his. Yeah. Because he has a fucking life sentence. He fucking deserved it too. And another thing that like really creeped me out that I didn't include, but I'm going to say it now, is that upon later reflection, Schmeling realized that the storage unit was a mile away from the airport. And obviously Dickless was an air traffic controller. And that he oh, yeah. could, there's a clear line of sight to the storage facility. So basically he could look at it and know that she was suffering and that she was in there and she was dead. Like how sick and fucked is that? That is so fucked up. Oh, oh. Also, if they like came to raid your fucking unit while you were at work, you could literally look up and be like, ah, uh, there's a bunch of fucking cop cars go. at the fucking unit. I've got to take my break right now. And yeah. Fucking I'm going to take a five. Yeah. Yeah. Holy fuck, dude. I saw a thing like, 17 years ago on this. No, it wasn't. I lived here. So like 13 years ago on this. Yeah, it's your, your uh, anniversary. And Congrats. Yeah, thank yeah. you. And it was the only time I heard it. And it stuck with me so much that I'm like, I need to find this I'm story. I'm fucking sure, dude. Yeah. I was like, woman in a garbage can in a storage unit. <laughs> and she was like, Bloop, Terry? I was like, did you Bloop. mean Terry? Yeah. Hi. Hello. I think you meant Terry. Terry's amazing. That story was fail. fucking crazy. I'm really glad you had like an awesome survival story this week because yeah. like I I needed that. I needed that for my week. Oh like, good, yeah. Because I changed the story. Did it was, you? It was not going to be. It that. was not going to be that. It was no. going to be like horrible, sad murders. I mean, it was going to be fucked. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm still doing the story. I just chose of course, this one. of course. Yeah. We're just delaying it. We're not. Yeah. Yeah. We're not. We're yeah. Postponing it. We didn't fucking. We're here for take the long haul. Yeah. 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 It'll come back around. Yeah. It was just so crazy and so much and so ins like if anyone deserves to be better it's this fucking woman and she's not she's fucking she's yeah. like life's a gift man and she's like i'm here for a reason like now i know what my purpose is and it's to make sure that nobody else has to fucking suffer at the hands of theirs yeah their partner ever again yeah she's like i can't run fine i can walk that's what matters yeah whatever <sighs> oh my god amazing amazing that was so good. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. I'm so glad you enjoyed That's it. That's gonna. Oh my god. Are you kidding me? I'm gonna think about that all fucking week and be like, yes. I love that, Terry. Like, Terry. 
Queen Terry. Yes. We're obsessed with you. Inspiration. Fuck yes. Oh my God. I will never be that badass. No. 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 That's the thing. Like you put yourself in this situation. I'm like, I'm, I'm gone. Yeah. It's no. a wrap. <laughs> I'm so, going in head first. Yeah. And that's it. Like, goodbye. <laughs> it's not occurring to me. <laughs> like, that's it. I'm not making it alive to the storage unit. As soon as the, the hypothermia set in, I'd be like, all right, this is the part where I just go to sleep because I'm too cold and it's like, whatever. I'm just like tapping the fuck out. Yeah, that's, it's a thing Ooh. that we've talked about before that I really, I, you know, I, a God-fearing woman, I believe in God. I believe we're all here yeah. for a reason. And, and, you know, when I have hard days, as we all do, I, the thought is always, I didn't come this far to come this far. Yeah. But it's this, fair. I'd be like, you know, I think this is where my train yeah. stops. <laughs> I think I came far enough on this I one. had a good run. <laughs> I think this is where this goes. I'm glad she didn't, though. And I'm glad Fuck yeah. that fucking dickless piece of shit is fucking dickless in fucking jail rotting away as he fucking deserves. It's funny because I was writing, as you may notice from listening to the podcast, I play a lot of uh, like word association. Like yeah, Amy will say it. a thing. I'm like, I need to go on a 10 minute tangent of what that reminds me of. <laughs> and so writing the story and just like, I was like, ugh, like this fucking guy is such a piece of shit. And it's like, and his name's David. And it's like, I'm like, ugh. and just the word dickless came up. And then I just had a flash to the scene in Ghostbusters where it's like, everything was going great until dickless here. And it's yeah. like, is that true? It's like, it is. Yeah. This man has no dick. <laughs> So obsessed with Bill Murray. So then I was like, fuck it. I'm calling him dickless for the rest of it. Fuck this piece of shit. By the way, he never said that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't, fucking, don't fuck with me, Amy. I'm on a high note now. You're know, fucking sorry. with me. I'm sorry. I'm just oh, That one wasn't real. The rest of them were real, but that one wasn't, that one wasn't real. I'm obsessed uh, with you. I'm obsessed with you. That was amazing. Fuck, dude. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to Demi. Demi, Demi again. to me. I'm obs- I have been talking about it multiple times. This fucking keychain is the coolest fucking keychain I've seen in fucking ages. I'm it's, obsessed. Oh, uh, it's obsessed. I'm we're obsessed. Thank you so much. Thank you yes, for thank you. thinking to make it and send it to us. Like, oh my god, that's so lovely. We say it every week and it doesn't stop being true. We have the most amazing listeners in we the really world. Do. And we're so fucking fortunate and grateful for you and like swag is amazing obviously but you have no idea what it is when we get dms from you and emails from you like it's the thought that counts it's just uh, that little and just that you think of us and yeah that we exist in your world is wild and relevant in any way shape or form yeah and we just mind-blowing love you so much and we can't ever overstate that so we're just going to keep saying it every episode yeah Till you're sick of it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but we love you. We're obsessed with you. We love you. You're We're obsessed great. with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything. Follow us if you don't already on our Instagram at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me at pin up girl mo. You can find me at lobotomy and that's lobot period Amy. Please send us your spooky stories. Our listener episode is coming up. Uh, but we want them all of the time so you don't need to wait for the listener episode there's no deadline exactly you can send us that either via dm on instagram but there is a word limit uh to that or you can email us 
at another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you in fucking. And if you like this show, please tell your friends about it. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps our visibility. It helps us with advertisers because we're trying to monetize this so we can do more of it and give you more of the content that you love. We love you. We're obsessed with you. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.